It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and today I am joined by Mile High Report's resident Ram fan, AJ Schulte. Congratulations on your team making the Super Bowl. Yeah, I I will tell you, I've been so nervous. Just like ever since the game, ever since the game against the 49ers, it's just a set of nerves just just crackled on to me. I'm like, just I I'm I'm excited for it because I think the Rams will win, but I'm also kind of like, oh my god, it's the Super Bowl. If they lose, I'm gonna feel just so depressed. I mean, and again, you you know, you guys were here pretty recently too, but I when the Broncos lost Super Bowl 48, I was gutted. Like you get all the way there and you lose and it almost feels worse than losing along the way. Cause like you have this yeah. whole buildup and all of a sudden you just get shit on. And then that ends up being the topic of conversation for, for an entire off season. Yeah. It, and that, that's the perils of like the Rams losing. Cause it's like, if they do lose and it's like, well, the Stafford, it didn't matter. Von Miller didn't matter. Like all, all these moves didn't matter. You didn't win it. It doesn't matter. And then of course you're going to have, the whole the flip side with the Bengals. Oh, you don't need an O line to succeed. Joe Burrow's just half dead. Just he's 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 like got bones shattered. I mean, like it, it's it's gonna be a fun a fun game. But I'm I'm confident in my Rams. Like I I I don't know if I was texting you or if I was texting Swami, but I was like I feel so much better about playing the Bengals than I do the Chiefs. Because oh yeah, I didn't. I would never want to play Patrick Mahomes. I don't care. I, d- I would never want to play him. Uh-uh. I mean, I know the league figured him out now. And we're all, you know, we're all kind of throwing throwing the dirt on their graves. But, yeah, I agree. I, I would say that as soon as the Bengals won that game, to me, I the Rams have so many advantages in this game. And we're going to touch on this in a second. But but as soon as the game was over and, the, you know, the Bengals made it out of the game, I was thinking to myself, I was like, they're at a disadvantage no matter who came out of the NFC. And then when it was you, like when it was the Rams, it was like, well, I mean, you touched on the offensive line that like that. And that's, you know, the easiest talking point is that the bank, the Bengals have probably one of the worst offensive lines to make the Super Bowl in at least 20 oh, yeah. years. I, I like the yeah, Broncos yeah. in 2015, their offensive line was pretty bad. They yeah, didn't I'm have probably, maybe, maybe the, maybe the Carolina, the, the Cam Newton Panthers, maybe their tackles were yeah, bad. Cause... Sure. Yeah, I, I remember Michael Orr just getting abused. Like, yeah. And um, but I mean Isaiah Prince, Isaiah Prince is I would say he's every bit as bad as Michael Orr was. And then Hakeem Adeniji oh, yeah. got benched in the in the AFC championship game. Well, and they found out tell. that and Jackson Carmen is worse. Yeah. He he Adeniji has a tell and Chris Jones was picking up on it like the entire first quarter. Like you, you could obviously tell by his stance whether it was a run or pass. And so you were like well, okay, and Chris Jones just teed off on it every every single time. It's two point stance, boom. He's he's rushing, boom. Like it, it's just so obvious. And then they put Jackson Carmen, and you're not going to put a rookie, a second round rookie, against Chris Jones and expect that to be a good one. Well, and I could tell you now that whoever is going to line up there, that's where they're going to put Aaron Donald. They're going to put Aaron Donald over him, and you're going to. I'm I'm pretty positive you're going to have Aaron Donald and Von Miller. On the right side, and, they, and that should honestly and truly scare the crap out of Joe Burrow. 
they did a they did a good bit of that in the uh like on the run up to the Super Bowl, like in the last two games, the Rams were putting uh Vaughn and Donald on the left side together and then having uh mm-hmm. Donald in a three technique and Vaughn in a nine or a seven, depending, you know, obviously on the tight end alignment. Um, but what it was doing is it created the situation where the left tackle had to one on one block against Von Miller and it made it a lot harder for them to help on Aaron Donald. So they both ended up getting one on ones a lot more often when they're together. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, like I, as soon as that game was over, yeah, I was thinking, I, this, I was like, how the fuck is Hakeem Adeniji going to hold up to Aaron like, Donald like that? Like, I, I, like Isaiah Prince is bad and like, but Jonah Williams is getting up like, I think he's the third most pressures in the NFL. And if you've seen Joe Burrow's splits under pressure in the playoffs, they're bad. Yeah. Like, like he, I know, I know a lot of it is like, oh, Joe Burrow's so calm, he's cool and collected, and and he is. He when stuff is flying, but when you look at the numbers, like it's a noticeable drop off. Yeah, and you're not going to see the Rams play the tilt fronts like they they were against San Fran. They were putting six guys in, and they would be dropping either Leonard Floyd or Von Miller into coverage. Just kind of playing that six man front. They're not going to do that against the Bengals. They don't have to. They don't need to. They can yeah. win with four. Yeah. Yeah. And you they can win with four up front, and they're going to have Jalen Ramsey sitting one on one with Jamar Chase the whole game. Well, and, and, and you know who's who's game playing that looks a lot like Vic Fangio's. <laughs> and they absolutely shut down the Bengals offense. The Bengals offensive game plan the last two games in the playoffs have been really interesting because against the Titans, they basically just said Joe Burrow will be able to handle it. It's cool. And then I, he took nine sacks actually took two more, but you know, they were dead plays. So they didn't count and just got abused all game. So then when they went into the chiefs game, they tried to like protect him by running the ball. Not well. Um, and we'll get to that in a second, but, but the problem, and I mentioned this last week on cover two, but the problem with trying to do like a running strategy like that against the Rams is, I mean, the Rams will allow you to do it. They want you to, cause they'll play out of light boxes, but they have a good run defense and they just have such a strong, like front four that yeah. outside zone yeah. pin and pull. Like, they're getting, they're getting Sebastian Joseph day back. Yeah. They're getting SJD and SJD being back changes, good. changes the Very math good. for them up front. He's phenomenal. Like Greg, like Greg Gaines has been great filling in. I think he's been, He's had he's had moments of, of pretty bad plays. That San Fran was a little rough for him at times. But like there he's coming back. And then Troy Reader is not going to play as much in this game. Ernest Jones is coming back from injury at linebacker, who he had some pretty good moments in coverage. Like it was almost kind of like how for Denver, like Jonas Griffith was just kind of like not expected to be as good as he was. And, and Ernest Jones comes in and you're like, oh wow. Okay. Like that. The Rams are getting healthy, like just in time to play their game plan against the Bengals. Like, I, I just think matchup wise, like they know they can win with four. And, and when when you look at what they did against the Fangio tree this year, I think Stephen Ruiz did a great job for this on this article for the Ringer. When they played Vic Fangio style of defenses, which the Rams are because they've taken a lot of stuff from Staley, uh, they averaged just 19 points per game which was a noticeable drop-off mm-hmm. from previously. And then when you add in that with the front four, it, like you could have Jalen Ramsey one-on-one with Chase virtually the whole game. That I mean, that takes Jamar Chase practically out because Jalen Ramsey is that good. Chase might win a few here and there, but Jalen Ramsey is like our version of prime 
Like, just so good. Uh, just a Hall of Fame candidate to me. And I think he's got the advantage athleticism-wise, too. And so Raheem Morris and Ejiro Evro, who I'm sure we'll talk about later on in this episode, they're going to have, they're going to just be able to just play, you know? They're going to be like, okay, we're going to do our coverages. And you know what? Sure, we gave up some over the middle, and that might be where Tyler Boyd shines, but you know what? We're going we're gonna to play ball, and, and you're going to have to block us long enough to be able to get that open. Well, and that, so I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, Mina Kimes, ESPN's Mina Kimes, obviously, uh, shared yeah. a thing on NFL Live minutes before we got on about how one of the areas where Joe Burrow could have a lot of success is attacking the middle of the field because uh, Troy Reader is not great in coverage and there's like noticeable holes. I want to say she said that uh, the Rams defense is allowing the second highest QBR in like the short intermediate, like right outside the tackle box. Um, and yeah, that makes sense. And Tyler Boyd is very good. But I think if that's the one way you're going to consistently try and move the ball on the Rams, I think the Rams will let you. Like, I don't think they're going to yeah. mind you trying to throw five yard passes because I don't think that, I, I like in terms of like a game plan, I don't think they're going to be able to do that consistently enough to score enough points to score with Matthew Stafford on the other side. Uh, because the other issue in this is the Rams or not the Rams, the, uh, the Bengals game plan offensively, they're kind of, they're kind of easy to suss out really. Yeah, um, and, and, and I'm glad you mentioned Ruiz cause uh, Steven Ruiz talked to Seth Galina and PFS Deontay Lee uh on the two high podcast i think it was on monday and they maybe I'm, it might have been last week but they brought up the fact that this offense unlike the mcveigh offense on the other side they they're not tied together like this the scheme is very very clear like when they go into empty they're gonna run like five concepts like and you know what they are when mm-hmm. they go under center they're gonna run the ball a lot and they're gonna try and do outside zone but they're easy to kind of it's not a system where there's restraint plays on top of the bread and butter plays on top of the counters. It's when we're on, when we're under center, this is what we're going to do when we're in the gun. This is what we're going to do when we're on the left heart hash mark. This is what we're gonna do when we're in bunch. This is what we're gonna do. So with two weeks to prepare, I feel like Raheem Morris doesn't get enough credit. I expect them to have a really, really good game plan for what Zach Taylor is going to try and do on offense. Yeah, and I know Zach Taylor's going to come out and say, like, oh, we're going to change some things on the side of the ball, but you're not going to go away from no. what you've been doing. I've, I've said it, and I think maybe – I think it might have been Ben Baldwin who kind of brought this up, but, like, the Bengals' game plan is almost – like, their offense is entirely player-driven. Yes. It, it's like, okay, crap, it's it's third and long. Just heave it up at Jamar Chase and hope for the best. Like, like that's – and it worked. <laughs> It especially worked against teams like the Ravens, who were just like, we're going to sit in man all day and hope for the best. Um, yeah, good luck Good luck with that in New York, by the way. So, um, like, I, I got to ask, um, from, from a matchup perspective, is there anything that the Bengals have and or do that does make you nervous? Uh, I, I would say, for me, just, you know, from a neutral observer standpoint, y'all's safeties uh, is a question, not, like, is a big enough question that I could see the Bengals getting some chunk plays if they can kind of like isolate those guys, uh, which isn't to say that they've been bad. They've been surprisingly good in the playoffs, but I just think that that's probably the biggest yeah. question mark on defense. Yeah, it's it, it's it's tough because to me, my biggest concern is 
Darius Williams isolated on T Higgins because Darius Williams is like 5'10. I, I think he's like 5'9, five, 5'10. Five, yeah. Uh, and Darius Williams has had moments of good, but against the 49ers, man, Ayuk and then Debo, like back to back, just took it to him. <laughs> just took it to him. I was like, man, I don't like it. It's tough to see, like, and obviously they're going to have to figure out a way to get some help and try to prevent one-on-ones directly. But you're not going to be able to avoid it the whole game. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and honestly and truthfully, it's just Joe Burrow being Joe Burrow. That's what worries me the most. Is it's like, because to me, on paper, if you just look matchup to matchup, mano to mano, I I don't see the Bengals even sniffing this game. I don't either. But it, it, but it's Joe Burrow. And the quarterback magic of just, yeah, I mean, we saw it with the freaking 2017 Eagles, right? I mean, Nick Foles beat the GOAT in the Super Bowl. Like, it's happened before where it's like you were never going to pick the Eagles to win that game. Mm-mm. And they, they did. And like that, that to me is kind of what worries me. But when you look at what the Rams have done in the postseason, they beat Kyler Murray. Like, they beat the Sox off of the Cardinals. They overcame the Tom Brady comeback, right? And, and, and I wanna... they got the Mickey off. They got the Mickey off their backs of six and six and zero the last three years against the 49ers. Like, like this team has overcome a lot, and and like that to me is just such an like from an intangible like storyline. When you look at obviously what happened with Robert Woods and and Odell, to uh, all these just different storylines of what they've had to overcome in the postseason. That guy's coming back healthy. Like this Rams team psychologically feels better than what the Rams team was against the Patriots a few years ago in the Super Bowl. Like I, I, I in the last Super Bowl against the Patriots, I was like, "There's I." I mean, I, I'm on record with I think Dalton Miller and Matt Valdivinos on one of their episodes where I was like, "I don't think the Rams are going to win this one because I just don't trust Jared Goff." And and like they kind of lucked in with the pass interference, <laughs> but like they've earned these wins against San Fran and against Tampa Bay and against Arizona. Like they've earned this right to be in the Super Bowl. They didn't luck in. So that I think it's a different psychological approach. And I think I think they're playing with edge. I'm I'm so excited for this matchup. And I'm glad you mentioned Jared Goff because that is the the side of the ball we haven't talked about much at all. Uh and again, like obviously the Broncos don't have anybody on the Rams offense. So like I can, I can understand why fans might be a little bit hesitant to talk about it as well, but Matt Stafford has been playing very, very well uh, throughout the playoffs. And the Bengals pass rush is really, really dependent on Lou Anarumo's blitz scheme. But Matt Stafford's one of the best quarterbacks in football against the blitz. Against uh, blitz yeah. Granted the Bengals against Mahomes played a lot of drop eight and it would make sense to try and do that in this game. But if they do so, I think McVay is just going to dial up a lot of easy quick game because Stafford can, yeah, can win and, there, and they're going to and they're going to run the ball down your throat if you do that. Like yeah, because because Henderson might be coming back healthy. Sony Michelle has played great in kind of that bully ball. Cam Akers, when he's not putting the ball on the ground, has played well too. Like if you try and drop eight, because like unlike unlike the Chiefs, the Rams the Rams are not afraid to run the ball at you. Like McVay almost is too committed to running the ball on first down. He's like, oh, first down, I'm just going to hand it off to Akers. And it works for the most part. But like, 
that's what I'm saying. It's like you're gonna see two teams come in with different game plans than what they did in the conference championships. Because mm-hmm. I think the way you play Mahomes, granted, the Kansas City offense just kind of collapsed, right? That that was that that was more surprising to me than anything was to just see them. It's like they didn't score before halftime, and then they just forgot what a football was right after that. I loved it. Oh, it was it was hilarious. But I was just sitting there the whole time, like, dude, if you're a Chiefs fan, you got to be embarrassed because this is this is rough. Um, but like, I I just I think when you look at Matthew Stafford and what he's done in the postseason, like, there are throws he makes that Jared Goff. Yeah. Never in a million years would have. like the 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 game winner essentially the Cooper Cup against Tampa, Goff would have been sacked like just just straight up, like in Matthew Stafford against the blitz and doing a lot of the the pre snap stuff that he does. Jared Goff just couldn't handle it. I mean, we all know the story that it was McVay who would basically tell Jared Goff what the matchups look like, and then just kind of figure it out from there. And so when the mics cut off, defenses just shifted. And everybody went, and he was like, oh, I, don't, I don't know what's going on in the field. I, uh, and but but Stafford just, he, he yeah, sure, he makes a couple of dumb throws like that intercept, that dropped interception against the 49ers. My my soul almost left my body. <laughs> I'm I'm not kidding you. I was exhausted <laughs> after that game. I'm, I was just I was so exhausted, but like it was like adrenaline exhausted after it. Uh, but you just look at how in command he feels in the playoffs. It, it just feels like a totally different Matthew Stafford. It does. Than what we saw in the regular season. And I, truth be told, I think he's outplayed Joe Burrow in the playoffs. I do. And like, that's not me being a Rams fan. I, I just think when you look at the whole body of work, I think he's outplayed Joe Burrow. And I trust him and McVay. I think they're going to lead this team to the promised land. I think when you combine McVay as a play caller with Stafford, I feel a lot more confident than the other side, because I think, as you mentioned, Burrow and the offense, like the, the, the talent is kind of elevating what is, has been probably one of the weaker coaching staffs in the playoffs the whole way. Uh, I think Taylor, and again, I'm not trying to bag on him, but the, the way that the offense is designed, it's just, it, it looks like a, just a, a a bunch of shit thrown together. And then it's like, well, we feel like running the ball. So this is what we're going to do. And it just, without having that system, it's like, if things start to get rough, what are they going to go to? Or are they just going to count on Burrow to get them out of it? And again, like Burrow might be so special that he can, but I wouldn't yeah. count. It, it he did, he did it against the Chiefs twice. Like, yeah. yeah. It, it, but it's just like, how, how predictive is that? Just because he did it against, yeah. you know, against the Chiefs. Can he do it again? Um, and again, maybe yeah. he can. I'm not rooting against him. Um, Brandon Allen is obviously Joe Burrow's backup. So as a Broncos fan, I win either way. Uh, you know. Oh, but come on, come on. You know who's on the other side. Oh, I know. You know who's rushing. I know who's on the other. You side. know who's on. It's uh, it's Vaughn. I feel like pretty much everybody's rooting for Vaughn to get another ring Vaughn, in, in Broncos country. I feel like everybody is. Vaughn is one of the last players who is like actually prominent in the NFL. Who was on the Broncos before I actually started covering the NFL in any capacity. So uh, it's always been kind of tough for me to like, try and be like really objective when I've analyzed him and like really studied his tape because it's like, first of all, he's amazing. And he, you know, he has been for a significant stretch, but also it's like, I am a fan of Von Miller. Like I, I'm obviously like, I'm a fan yeah. of the Broncos in general, but, but a lot of them, 
I, I've had to be very critical, like not had to, but I, I've chosen to be very critical because I feel like that's what I can kind of try and bring to the table is I can look at the goods, the bads and like try and present it. But yeah, so as Von Miller, like when he got traded, I was gutted. Um, I was just completely destroyed by it. I, I understood why the Broncos did it. Um, the Broncos were trying to replace him last year, so it wasn't exactly a surprise. Yeah. But to see to and, see and him I feel like they got I feel like they got good return, you know, like because for for a free agent you're only gonna get for like eight games and a playoff run. A two and a three is almost a coup, really. Well, and, and, and let's touch on that because we'll touch on that and then we'll move, you know, to the coaching staff. Cause I think this is a good, cause, because if the, yeah. if the Rams win the Super Bowl, one of the big narratives coming out of it is going to be, did the Broncos, was that a good trade really for the Broncos? They got a second and third round pick from it. I think it was, I, I do think it was a good trade. If you're going, if you're not going to re-sign Von Miller and again, all signs were pointing to the fact that they were going to let him walk. And you weren't going to chase the suit. Like they weren't serious contenders this year because they had Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, so it made sense to move him. Um, and then he got hurt. So the fact that they could trade him after he had gotten hurt in the Cleveland game, still got the second and the third. I thought that was really, really savvy by George Payton. I want to mention the fact, and again, like this kind of, you know, falls through the cracks. They picked up the entire salary. Like the reason Von Miller could go to the Rams is because the Broncos paid for him. Like you guys were on the hook for, yeah. I want to say like $700,000. So because yeah. of that, it's that's basically like, I think, I think all of his incentives were from the Rams. I think that's it. But, but because of that, the Broncos got the two picks. Like that was a big part of it. Like they, they yeah. got an extra pick out of that deal because they paid for it to happen. Um, And again, good on mm -hmm. them because they, what were you going to do with the cap room? Like sign, you know, an eighth or ninth string linebacker. Um, So you might as well just be on the hook for Might've needed it. <laughs> Might've needed it, but, but you know, <laughs> But, but I do like that they sent him to a winner. Um, and I got to say, like, as a fan of Von Miller, to see him succeed the way he has. He's, by PFF's grading, I, last I checked, he was the highest rated player by them in the playoffs. Um, he destroyed. Yeah, so and, and obviously he, part of it's Aaron is, Donald, but it's been awesome. He is winning. His uh, pass rush win rate is at 25% right now, which is just absurd. Just, just for just for comparison's sake, for people, for listeners to know, uh, Malik Reed all season was an eight point eight percent. Von Miller's at twenty five right now. It's just in the postseason. Like <laughs> that, that, that we're talking about a level of dominance. Like truth be told, I think the Super Bowl MVP is going to be either Aaron Donald or Von Miller. Same. I, I think it's going to be one of those two. Now, now if if it's Stafford, great. Yeah, that's fine. But I. I just think getting Aaron Donald a ring is the, my number one priority. I, I want Aaron Donald to get a ring so bad. Me too. And then and then Vaughn coming in and just playing so well. I mean, he's almost at a – I think his pressure rate is like 19% or something crazy like that in the playoffs. That's double what he did in the regular season. One of the things I really love about it, just as a Von Miller fan, is that it really throws like a lot of the dumb narratives that Broncos fans had about Von Miller really on their head. Um, for the last three years, again, like, you know, me covering the Broncos, I every time I've ever written about Von Miller, I always end up getting emails and or messages about people being like, he hasn't been trying since Super Bowl 50. He, you know, he's not the same anymore. He coasts and it's, it's all bullshit. Um, 2019 again, not to get, you know, too in the on 2019 Von Miller had more than twice the pressures of any other member of the Broncos. 
Um, Shelby Harris was the next on the team. I want to say he had 26. Von Miller had, I think, 60. Uh, and then this year, he was by far the, the leading pressure generator before the trade. Um, he ended up finishing fourth on the team, according to Sports Info Solutions charting. He ended up with six less pressures than Malik Reed, despite the fact that Malik Reed played in twice as many games for the Broncos. Yeah, and I think I think by PFF he finished tied for third with Draymond Jones and sacks, despite playing in just seven games. So, like, uh, like when I sent out the tweet the other day of like the pass rushers dropped off a cliff without Von Miller. I, I meant it. Like Von Miller, <laughs> Von Miller was the only consistent pass rush the Mickles had. Yeah, and I, you know, I think this is one of those trades where both sides, I think, come out winners. Um, because like when when George Payton made the move for to trade Von Miller, he knew that the picks they were going to get were probably going to be playoff picks. Yep. But it did. I mean, like you still got a second and a third round pick that you can springboard either for a trade for a quarterback or for a, more ammo for a rebuild. Like, I, I will say on that note, I don't expect them to hold all of those picks. I, I would either. be surprised. I don't either. I would be surprised if they kept all, what is it, five picks in the first three rounds? Yep. I would be surprised if they keep all of them. I, and again, this is, you know, just pure speculation. Um, I love the idea that if they do trade for Aaron Rodgers, there is a possibility, um, remote as it might seem right now, that they might end up still having top 100 picks after trading for Aaron Rodgers, which would be fantastic because they do have significant needs. We'll get to that in a minute, you know, down, you know, in the show. But the other thing that's cool is if they decide that they can't get Aaron Rodgers, they could potentially take an impact player at nine and if they're dead set on taking a quarterback in this god awful class, they could trade back up into the end of the back end of the first round and still get the fifth year option. So hopefully by five, you know, five years down the road when Malik Willis is actually good, they can pick up a fifth year option on him and he's actually worth it. Oh. Yeah. I don't know if Malik Willis is no, I know. I, so, so, you know I'm going somebody's going to gonna fool themselves. I, somebody's going to fool themselves into thinking Malik Willis is. If the Steelers want to trade Something up for special. Malik Willis, like I'd be all for moving down. That's what I'm saying. As I'm sitting here going, shoot, you give you give them twenty. I think the Steelers have picked twenty this year. We've done this before. You guys round. got you know Devin Bush yeah. last time. It worked yeah. out great for you guys. You should do it again. Yeah, yeah. you took Devin Bush. Yeah, woo, good for y'all. <laughs> um, but okay, so with the with the Rams being in the Super Bowl, kind of as you know, weird transition, but but. Obviously, the Broncos, there's another part of this that's important to mention. Two of the members of the Broncos coaching staff are almost certainly coming to the Broncos almost immediately after the Super Bowl. Uh, Averro is going to end up being the defensive coordinator. Mike Kliss from Nine News has basically already confirmed it. Um, I think everybody and their mom knows it's going to happen. Peter Schrager. Yep. So Dwayne Stukes is the other. uh, He is the assistant special teams coordinator of the Rams right now. He is going to end up taking over for Tom McMahon as the Broncos special teams coordinator. I know a lot of fans yesterday, again, we're recording Wednesday, a lot of fans yesterday when the Broncos announced their assistant special teams coach, there were fans that were like, what about the special teams coach? I get it, but the fact that they can't hire him officially until the Rams play, that's that's just kind of how it works. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to – I would go ahead. Oh, no, like, it, what's interesting to me is, it, obviously, they, they hired Mike Mallory, for those that don't know, as the assistant special teams coordinator. 
he worked under Joe, I want to say Joe De, De Camillis, Camilli? I'm not quite sure. He's the current Rams special teams coordinator. Uh, he was, Mike Mallory was his assistant in Jacksonville, which is where he and Hackett had the link up. Um, and so what is, this sounds like to me is Dwayne Stukes got the job as a special teams coach, turned around and asked Joe, I'm just going to call him Joe. <laughs> Not you, the other joke. <laughs> um, asked him, hey, who, who, who's a good special teams guy that I should work with? Or you, do you have any recommendations? Because he's been around, he's been coaching special teams forever, and he's been great pretty much wherever he's been at. And so he, he turned around and said, yeah, take, take Mike Mallory. And so the Broncos were just kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, and Hackett obviously knew him beforehand. And so I think that's where that tie comes in is, yes, Hackett already, obviously already knew Mallory, but Stoops also got him from essentially his mentor in uh, L.A. One thing I like about the Stoops and Mallory pairing is that they're not Tom McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> I'll spit up my drink for for the listeners there. Um, <laughs> but no, but, uh, but I, mean, like, I, I, I like Stukes. I, I from I talked with Jordan Rodriguez about she's fantastic, by the way. Uh, just probably the best outright pure writer out there. And I'm I'm not saying that as a biased ranch fan, but like Stukes is really high energy, right? Demanding. I, I think the exact quote is like demanding but not demeaning. Um, I think it was Matt Gay that said that. Like she talked, she always, she just kind of talked about like he energy and the players respond to him very well. And like he took over a couple of, of practices, calling the special teams, and guys responded well to him in LA. So I think that that kind of relationship, being able to like have the players respond to you and have that respect earned by the players to you, I don't think Tom McMahon ever had that. No. In Denver. Like and, the special teams had just zero effort at any given point. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I want to kind of move. So I have a lot of concerns about the, the current coaching staff. And I know you and I have had a lot of discussions, both like in various chats about this. Uh, I want to kind of like, I, I think this is a good segue to it. My big concern looking at the coaching staff, and we'll go over the names in a second, but my big concern with the coaching staff is just. I think that this is the most inexperienced coaching staff of the new coaching staffs of the nine teams hiring coaching staffs. Like I, you know, I kind of pay attention here and there where I see the names kind of popping up and it definitely, uh, Nathaniel Hackett is a first time head coach. Uh, Averro is going to be a first time defensive coordinator. Dustin Oden is a first time offensive coordinator. Uh, Stukes has been a special teams coordinator before, but only for, I want to say three years. Uh, neither one of them. the one. Yeah, and neither like, one of the Broncos just the one in, in. Oh, is it? No, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I'm mistaken. It it, it was one year. I think Ma- Mallory. Mallory was three years. Three. Yeah, I mixed those up. Um, and then uh, between Butch Berry and Ben Steele, who are the offensive line coaches, the I want to say that they have five years as the offense, like the primary offensive line coach between them. Um, and it's all yeah. Barry, but but well, it, it, it 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 is a concern good. after they missed on John Embry. Uh, just because again, John Embry is held in really high regard. And the other thing is some of the assistants that they pushed out were also held in really high regard. 
Um, obviously, again, you and I went back and forth pretty heatedly. I, I mean, I, I will admit I was pretty heated about Mike Munchak. Uh, and I get the I get the scheme aspect of it, but I just I look at the fact that you're pushing out a guy who is basically widely regarded as one of the best offensive line coaches. You're pushing out, and again, I understand why you were not going to hold on to Vic Fangio, but you're pushing out someone who is regarded around the NFL as one of the forefront of like where the NFL defenses are going. Um, so replacing all these guys with first time coordinators is a little bit concerning when if the Broncos are going to make a trade for Aaron Rodgers, their Super Bowl window is immediate. Like they do not have time for a bunch of coaches to figure out what the hell they're doing. But your point, like your point, and I just want to say this, but your point on the relationship aspect of it, it's easy to kind of scoff at just because it's easy to scoff at the idea like, Oh, everyone knows Nathaniel Hackett. They're all buddies. It's cool. But also like being able to work together and then also being able to communicate with the players and like connect with the players. I think that does matter. Um, especially after we've heard so much about discontent with the last staff. Yeah. That and, and what and, and kind of the 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 flip side of inexperience. And I, I some some prominent Denver Bronco media member kind of basically came out and was like crapping on the idea of like, oh, what sold Hackett was bringing in fresh ideas. That's a good thing. I don't know why that, that was perceived as a negative. When like when you listen to Hackett and like the analytics approach, that and like he wants to find a way to teach things new and connect to younger players. And that's something that I feel like Fangio, Fangio did a great job of maximizing talent. Right? I think you and I both agree that Vic Fangio with what the Broncos worked with last year on defense, because they were by far not as talented as people thought they were. What he did maximized the talent, but I feel like the other coaches really struggled to build that kind of Agreed. relationship and teach players. And that's what I think this new staff is doing. Obviously they're switching to kind of the more modern wave. I don't know if it's really modern, but going into the Shanahan mold and, throwing their hat in the ring for it. Um, and that to me is where I think Munchak thing kind of springs from just because he's not been an outside. He's not been an outside zone guy. Like they, they, they tried it once in Pittsburgh and he pretty much threw it away right away. Um, so like that, that to me is where I think that happened. And, and Butch Berry is going to have to prove himself. I definitely think uh, I, it's a hire that I'm a little bit, I'm both curious by because Butch Berry is part of the O-line collective unit, which is one of like, it's like the who's who of O-line guys. And obviously Kyle Shanahan trusted him enough to bring him on his staff. And so did Matt LaFleur. So clearly there's some sort of, I mean, because you look at Shanahan's staff, I mean, holy crap. That's like four, was it four coaches now that are head coaches that were with him? Um, it's and, so, and like the inexperienced thing, it kind of worked for Matt LaFleur in Green Bay, <laughs> you know. So, but that it, it to me, like it's a double edged sword. It, the relationship, like I, I'd said to, this to you previously, if it hinders Hackett from making a move that benefits the team, like if you, if, if Butch Berry, or for example, just stinks and the O line is horrible and he doesn't get rid of Butch Berry because he's connected to him 
or he goes out and hires another assistant just because he worked with him once instead of hiring a qualified guy. I think with John Embry, I don't think they offered him the assistant head coaching job. I don't think they offered him that. I think they were just going to try and bring him on as tight ends coach. But in Miami, and Mike McDaniel was like, no, you can be my assistant head coach. I don't think they were going to pay him. I like, and I think it, yeah, the title is probably part of it, but I also just think that they weren't going to offer as much as Miami was. And oh yeah, Miami, Miami's shell out money right now. They don't have, yeah, they don't give they're, a damn. They're um, trying to pull. They're trying to put like Brian Flores. Yeah, no, <laughs> just, they, they they have right. to kind of like try and throw as much money at it to like show that they're committed to you know being the best team and all that. Winning, but but, them, yeah. but but the other the other I want to push back just a little bit, and again. People, people, I, I am concerned about the inexperience. I'm not saying that the Broncos coaching staff is bad because of inexperience, but I think when, when every reporter is basically just ignoring this because they are, uh, I feel like somebody has to bring it up. So I'm, I, I don't care. I'll bring it up, but, but I want to push back just a little bit on what you said with LaFleur, because I've also seen people say like Sean McVay is doing okay. He was inexperienced once that kind of thing. And it's true. But Sean McVay also hired Wade Phillips as his defensive coordinator. Matt LaFleur kept Mike Pettin as his defensive coordinator when he joined Green Bay. Like, these guys did keep experience on one side of the ball while they kind of got their feet wet on the other side, figuring everything out. Mm-hmm. Hackett's not yeah. doing that. Like, Averro has never been a coordinator. Um, and again, I'm not saying he's going to be bad, but he is unproven. Um, and again... Uh, like, if the Broncos don't get Aaron Rodgers and they're just, like, trotting out Drew Locke or some, you know bum luck free agent for a year. I don't really care. Like if they take their lumps as a coaching staff, they're going to be bad anyway. But if you're, if you're going to go all in for a 39 year old quarterback to chase a super bowl, like that inexperience does look like a, it's a big question and it's just something that I I'm, you know, they have to answer. Yeah. But uh, on the flip side, the inexperience worked for Brandon Staley, you know, like he was never a coordinator before. Yeah. Again, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm like, not saying it's a death knell, but I'm just saying like it is like, a question mark. Yeah, it, it certainly is, especially because they're all. I think the oldest. I think Hackett is the oldest at 42. I could be wrong. Uh, Mallory's. Old. Um, I want to say Mallory's. Is he? Mallory's okay. old, but everyone else is young. Yeah, Mallory's 60. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To me, honestly, truthfully, the the Butch Berry hire was the one that I was kind of skeptical of the most. The one, the one for me was was Peter Hansen at linebackers coach, and, and like and like that's not that's not it, it's tough because you can't really look at his UNLV stuff because UNLV is just a consistent dumpster fire. They are right? like like no coach no coach is going to be good at UNLV. I don't but, care if it's freaking Belichick. And you're right, but the but the thing is like he can't, he basically outside of UNLV he's either worked for San Francisco for three years or spent the entirety of his like coaching career outside of high school. At Stanford. So like in terms of like an unproven coach, he is like at the very top of unproven coaches Mm -hmm. in this situation. And again, that doesn't mean he's bad, but, but you have very little in terms of like looking at what he's done to say he is a slam dunk hire. And that makes you a little nervous if you really look at it. Yeah. Especially because Reggie Herring had been just churning out guys left and right. And and if you were going to keep a guy that was familiar with the Fanchio scheme, You'd think you would have kept the guy, yeah. It, like that's the one that that was the most questionable to me. I would have I would have hired Bogardis from the Rams because I think he's awesome and I love his name. Um, that Thad Bogard, and I also called it, so that makes me look smarter too. 
Um, but who, who knows? He could still be brought on as an outside linebacker's coach. Could still happen because they got rid of Pagano. Um, like I, that was the hire that I went the most of just kind of like, uh, that's, I, I get it because they wanted to go young, but they probably could have got somebody better or they could have just kept Reggie. Like, unless Reggie wanted out. And I don't know if we'll ever really know who wanted to stay and who wanted out. Because, like, there was some reports that Munchak wanted out, but I never saw anybody, like, confirm it um, to really know. So that that linebacker's coach is the one that, that, but on the flip side, he kept a lot, he kept a lot of the good coaches to the two that I wanted him to keep in Zach Azani and Christian Parker. Fitting with the mold of young guys. Of young guys who are able to teach because we saw what Azani did with the wide receivers. Yes. Like Tim Patrick came out of nowhere. Jerry Judy got his drop problems fixed until he started playing with Drew Love. <clears throat> that's, that's just a just just a thing of notice. That's all. Um, but even like Kendall Hinton had good reps, right? Like that 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 to me Trinity like Benson. You've seen that. Before before yeah. he was traded, the fact is Trinity Benson yeah. was an undrafted free agent out of cent- central Oklahoma. Or like sent you know central in Oklahoma, and yes. performed yeah. well enough to get traded for a fifth round pick. Like Zach Azani is definitely play a doing work. Snap. Yeah, but I, I mean that does I think speak. He played a snap for Detroit. But that does speak to Zach Azani. Um, and then Christian yeah. Parker, obviously, like obviously Patrick okay. Sertan. Obvi- yeah, obviously Patrick Sertan. But you, but you look at the rest of the DBs and he, Darby. Yeah, I mean. Darby played well. Darby played pretty uh, Nate okay. Nate Hairston. Nate Hairston played Nate pretty Hairston well. Kyle Forbes well. for the first time in his career did not look lost. No, and then you had um, Caden Stearns kind of come on young and look great. Yep. PJ Locke in the preseason looked freaking phenomenal. Yep. Right, like, and, and we'll, we're still kind of see how he did with Jamar Johnson. Justin Simmons is obviously just one of the best in the game. Kareem Jackson is also really good too. Um, but like. We saw what he did. Like the, he's a young, really good coach, and and that to me, the fact that they kept, they like identified guys again. They they, I think the whole thing is just bringing in youth. It looked just that bringing way. in somebody fresh, and that, and that's what it kind of feels like, because a lot of the old coaches don't like the analytics approach. Nope. They they don't like the numbers and the math, and they're like, oh my gosh. Two plus two equals four. That's just heresy. <laughs> Get that out of my football room, right? And, and so, like that to me is kind of what this whole mold is. If you look at Evero, right? With with the Ram, the Rams are one of the most. And I know the Browns get a lot of hype, but the Rams have been using analytics since Les Snead showed up. And and Sean McVay, despite his cowardice to not go for it on fourth downs, it's like. That that feeds into their draft process. It does, and that's and that's one of the secrets of why they've been so good at building depth, and, even though and that's they trade why, so many picks. That's, that's why they are a okay shipping off first rounders. I mean, granted, it's not like let's sneak a draft with the first round pick, but like they're like okay, screw it, we'll go out and we'll identify a guy in the sixth round. Look what they did with Jordan Fuller. Look what they did with Sebastian Joseph Day, and then Traven Howard. Who got the interception last year, or not last year, uh, against San Fran? Like, they just find these guys because they're analytics approach. And I think that's what Hackett wants. And I think that's what George Payton wants. 
I think Peyton kind of saw what happened in Cleveland with Stefanski, who he's obviously very close to, and was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And, and when you look at how they handled their first draft, sure, they didn't get a quarterback. That kind of stinks. And they traded up for running back. That's not an analytics approach at all. Didn't draft a tackle but, when they take two to three years to develop. Yeah. But they did get a linebacker. To get a linebacker, pretty a linebacker and pretty interior late. offensive lineman. Yeah, and and then they they got in and they were able to identify good young talents that fit in with their scheme pretty. And even Jonathan Cooper, like granted, Jonathan Cooper was graded a little higher than where he ended up, but he he looked phenomenal in his rookie year. And the fact that they were like, screw it, we'll still take him. And it's a seventh round pick. Who cares? And then sure enough, he just ends up. Probably, uh, I don't know if I want to say he was their best pass rusher outside of, but he kind of was. He, <laughs> him, I would say him and Weatherly, he him was and Weatherly best, were like the only ones that would win. Yeah, him and Weatherly were their best edge rushers, and yeah, they were the only ones that were kind of healthy, right? <laughs> yeah, Bradley Bradley Chubb. I didn't um, realize. I did not know he had two surgeries on his foot. I when, I when, slept, Peyton, when Peyton said that today, I was surprised. I slept on the fact that he had the surgery back in camp, I think, because I, I just think I forgot it. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what he's alluding to. Uh, so I, I want to bring this up just because, you know, I'm looking at it. So we're mentioning all these names um, for, you know, those of you listening, if you were not aware of this, because it is, it's a lot of names, kind of, like, you know, puh, puh, puh. Um, the Broncos have, as we are recording this, the Broncos have retained four coaches from the previous staff. Uh, Zach Azani for the wide receivers, Christian Parker for the DBs, Justin Riscotti, who you've probably never heard of. He is retained as a quality control coach on offense. Um, and then Bill Collar. Bill Collar was the defensive line coach for a while. Like he's been in Denver for a minute. Um, he is moving from defensive line to becoming a consultant. So the Broncos will end up hiring a new defensive line coach. I'm actually kind of wondering if they're going to try and hire Anthony Weaver since they're not getting him as defensive coordinator. We'll see. Um, but then, yeah, it, uh, but then they, kind of what happens with their DC, DC in Baltimore. Um, and I, then, I'd be on board with Weaver. I love Weaver. I yeah, think Weaver's great. He's been a good coach. Um, I, I don't know yeah. if I necessarily want him as a defensive coordinator because of the same issues that uh, like all the other guys have, yeah. but, but in terms of, but yeah, as D line coach, he's a proven shoot, defensive yeah. line and he, coach. And he's been around, he's been around everyone Hackett. Um, and that, that's me. Like, honestly, truthfully, I, I would try and poach White Cotton. From the Jets, I mean, like he and Hackett were around for a while. Um, they've been connected, and you look at the Jets' defensive line, what they've done, and then you look at what he did with the defensive line in the Senior Bowl, and you know, he spent time around San Fran. Now you might be like, oh, "Is it a scheme fit? Who cares? He can produce pass rushers. I don't care." Like, <laughs> well, and and I want to I want to get there too because the other thing I was gonna say is the Broncos. We have caught five confirmed names for the new staff. And it's Justin Oden uh, as offensive coordinator. Clint Kubiak is the QB coach slash passing game coordinator, Butch Berry and Ben Steele are the offensive line coaches. And then Peter Hansen is the linebacker coach. We know Averro is going to be the defensive coordinator. We know Stukes is going to be the special teams coordinator. What can you tell me knowing what you know about the Rams? Like what is coming for the defense Um, in an interview slash, I don't even know if it was really an interview, uh, with the Denver Broncos main site, Payton did say that he hopes or that he thinks that the new scheme is going to look similar to the old scheme. 
but he followed it up by saying, but who knows? So yeah, I think it's going to look pretty similar. Uh, Averro in, in terms of he's been yeah. operating in the Staley Raheem Morris defense. So I, I would yeah. think and, that they're hiring him in, in thought getting that right. Yeah. And unlike say if like, if they hired, had to hire Dan Quinn, they don't ha- they now don't have to totally overhaul the defensive look. Right. You know, Evero has worked with Wade Phillips, Vic Fangio, and Brandon Staley, and now Raheem Morris. Like in his in his career, like that is phenomenal resume, and he's been successful everywhere. I mean, when you look at what they've what they've done with the Rams, and the fact that he was he was able to basically him him and Raheem Morris, like he was a big reason why Raheem Morris was able to effectively keep a lot of the Staley stuff around because of the way Evero taught it. Like Evero is a phenomenal teacher. And that that to me says a lot. I mean you look at what he's done with the Rams safeties. I mean he developed John Johnson into a, into an all pro. Like John Johnson is phenomenal safety. And he was for for the Rams. Phenomenal. Excellent work. You look at what he's done with guys like Jordan Fuller and Taylor Rett. And Nick Scott. I mean, Nick Scott got that huge interception against Tom Brady in the playoff game. And I mean, he's just made plays every time he's gone on. And I had to eat my words on Nick Scott because I was like, why is this guy even playing? And then turn, he just shows me up by laying the hit stick on Debo, knocking him out, and then gets that huge interception on Tom Brady. I'm like, oh, that's what he's playing. Okay. Um, but like, you look at how he's been able to do that, and then – they brought Eric Weddle out of retirement two weeks ago. Eric Weddle's now calling the green dot for their defense. Like, that's how effective of a teacher Evero is. He's got the green dot now, and he played 100% of the snaps despite being in retirement two years, like two weeks ago. Like, that, that is what Evero has done. He's able to just communicate and teach these guys well. I mean, Jordan Fuller, part of the reason why Jordan Fuller saw the field so often and was so good was because of how smart he is. He's a great communicator, a great leader. And that's why I think Justin Simmons is just going to flourish with Evero. I think you're going to see Simmons take on a new level of of play. Like, I, I love Evero. I, I think, truth be told, I think he's probably, if him, Aubrey Pleasant was, like, my personal favorite on the defensive staff for a while, Evero, Evero is probably my number two. I think he's I think he's just a phenomenal guy. You listen to him speak. He's obviously very intelligent, relates to the players well. The players love him. He, like he him and Jalen Ramsey have a, such a phenomenal relationship together. And and like you see what the Rams are doing on defense. He's I think I believe he's a passing game coordinator too for them. Like I mean they've been they they stymied Kyler Murray and they they stymied. Tom Brady, for the most part, for most of that game until, like, everything kind of collapsed a little bit and Jalen Ramsey got beat for, like, the first time <laughs> this year by Mike Evans. Like, that's what that's what stands out to me about Ebro is it's just, like, he's a – I say, like, it, it's going to sound cliche, but, like, he's a player's coach. Like, players love him. And I think this defense is going to look – it's going to be – the Fangio stuff mixed in with a splash of Wade, with a splash of Evero, and a splash of Raheem Morris. So one of the things I wanted to take a look at, just because 
so the the Staley defense and the Fangio defense, a lot of people kind of consider them the same, but they're not. Um, there there are definitely differences Staley. because Staley has taken Staley. bits and pieces from Nick Saban, Saban. and implemented yeah. yeah and implemented that. So what's interesting to me, if you look at and again, guys, those listening, it's hard to see it, obviously. Uh, but I went and looked at the kneel down just to see how the coverage distributions look. Uh, one of the big differences between this year's Rams defense and this year's Broncos defense is the Broncos actually used a lot more cover one, uh, which is man coverage, whereas the Rams actually used a good bit more cover three. I thought that was interesting. Um, beyond that, That's Raheem Morris. Yeah, beyond that, they're very similar. Uh, the Broncos used a little bit more cover zero, but they both still use a lot of cover four and a lot of cover six. Um, and that's awesome because again, Justin Simmons, and this isn't to say he would be bad in a switch, but Justin Simmons has really thrived in Denver since Fangio came on before that in 2018, that was my first year covering mile report. Will parks looked better than Justin Simmons in 2018. Part of that was, I just think Simmons was a little bit overtaxed with how many things he was being asked to do in the system. And I also know at one point they asked him to like cornerback this whole thing, but, but keeping him in a similar system makes a ton of sense. Um, he's your best player. Why wouldn't you try and maximize him? Um, and kind of build the defense around his talents. Um, and then obviously Patrick Sertan, as long as you're not running like a cover two heavy system, I think he's going to be a fit. Uh, he can do just about everything. Yeah. Yeah. Sertan is him and him and Simmons together. It's just going to be, it's going to be awesome. Like you, it's rare, you have a you have both a top ten corner and a top ten safety. I mean, hell, I'd argue Justin Simmons is a top five safety. Same, just just from what and and Patrick Sertan is 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 climbing up. Like I put out this tweet last night because I, I was rewatching Sertan last night. I watched the, the their second game against uh, the Chargers and him versus Keenan Allen. It's just like, oh my god, this guy's just just too good. He's just he's just insane. Like, if he, oh my god, if he stays healthy, I think he's going to end up being the best cornerback in football pretty soon. Um, I think like Ramsey, not obviously, named Jalen Ramsey, yeah, not named yeah I think, Jalen. well, but I mean, right, right. <laughs> like I think Jalen Ramsey is in this tier, but I think Sertan can reach that tier. Uh, and I mean, I thought that. I don't know if he has the gifts of 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 Ramsey. I don't know if he has the pure gifts of Ramsey, but he's definitely smart enough. I don't be, think he'll. I don't think he'll. I, I'm curious to see if the Broncos try and do anything like what they've done with Ramsey, with Sertan, because one of the big questions I had about him when he was coming out is that he is definitely better on the boundary than he is in the nickel, but the Broncos don't have any slots like that. Like as of right now, um, and again, we're gonna get to kind of needs in a second here, but looking at the cornerback room, the Broncos have three boundary corners in a Sang Bassey who was injured at the very end of 2020 basically didn't play last year. So they don't have a nickel corner right now. Yeah. yeah so I, I would be interested to see, or if they kind of like, like with Ramsey, they kind of pick and choose matchups for him. Yep. Right. Um, and, and so I want, if Everett brings that along, I think that'd be interesting, but I would, I just kind of like Sertan just being that corner. Just, okay. You're going to take this side of the field. And they're not going to throw it your way. Sertan, we'll I figure out the rest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't. I would rather him do that than have to play like six five Travis Kelsey in the slot. You know, like, like I, I think that's almost. I don't know if that's a waste because I think Sertan can do it. 
but it, it just he he doesn't have that that like physical gif of, of Jalen Ramsey because Ramsey's just like could have played any position he wanted to right he, he's just such an, an all-star athlete and then he's super incredibly intelligent on top of that like Sertan isn't quite there physically the lateral so gonna, the, the lateral quickness isn't quite the same yeah I mean yeah it's it's stupid for a guy of his size to move like Ramsey does and he does it's it's insane how fluid he is but like Sertan Holy crap, dude! Some of the some of the reps in man coverage, you're like, whoa! Like you knew he'd be good. Like everybody pretty much had him as a top ten player last year. Like we knew he would be a great player, but I don't know if anybody really expected him to be. He should like, the- be like, oh, factory boom! Here it is, top ten corner. Like <laughs> it was like it's like he got burned that one time against the Giants by I think it was Sterling Shepard. For a touch, and then just didn't allow a rep even close to it the rest of the year. He should have made the Pro Bowl. Yeah, him and Simmons both. Yeah, I definitely should have made the Pro Bowl. Um, and and I would um, say that the the thing with Simmons, and and again, like you know, we're getting off track a little bit, but the thing with Simmons is the way Pro Bowl rosters are built, they only carry three safeties, and one of them is a free safety, and Justin Simmons is considered a free safety, so they didn't. He was the second free safety. And I think that's dumb uh, just because in today's NFL, you would in what world are you carrying three safeties into a game? Like you're not uh, unless you're, you're not tackling, not playing defense as you do in the pro bowl. Uh, So like that was dumb, but, but Sertan, I mean, it's just everybody who actually knows what they're watching, who watched Sertan came away from it being like, this is one of the best corners in football. Like, what the fuck are we doing here? So so I do think that yes, he didn't make the Pro Bowl, but I I consider him a Pro Bowl type corner. Um, but but kind of looking ahead from there, we know that those two are going to be foundational players on this new defense. You and I have touched on this before. The defense, if you if you really start to look into it, it looks like they are going to have a very steep fall off this year. Dep- depending on what they do in the free agency in the draft, yeah. But, but it's one of those and, things and depending, where, on, and depending on how good Evero is. Obviously. Yes. But, but like a big part of it is like, and again, we're, we're in this situation where it's like, if they do this or if they do that, but if they trade for Aaron Rodgers, and, and I'm kind of operating in the back of my mind, like I'm not getting excited for it because so many, you know, I did this last year. I I've definitely been burned on this before, but I'm, I'm kind of having to approach mentally that they're going to try and eat with yeah. that in mind. It's like, well, what happens if that's how it goes? Aaron Rodgers is going to eat up about $26 million in terms of cap room. They have about 40. Mm-hmm. So that means they're going to have about four. I'm really bad at math. They're going to have about $14 million in cap room to try and build out whatever else they're doing, barring, you know, cuts, moves, restructure, stuff like that. And some of that has to be just, you know, injury type stuff in the season. Like you don't spend every single free agent dollar because you have to yeah. have probably and, about 7 and, million. And for operational costs. You have to have your draft class too. Exactly. So if they trade for Aaron Rodgers, this roster is pretty close to what we're going to see into the, going into the draft. And there are holes on all three levels of the defense. Yeah. Yeah. That that's what that's what concerns me the most. I mean, if you trust Peyton enough looking at his one his one draft class. Like Okay, he identified 
some talent late, some really good talent throughout the draft. And so you're hoping that it's like, okay, even if we have to give up number nine, right? It, like if, if it's like two firsts and like, I don't know, Noah fan or what it, or three first or whatever. Hopefully you don't have to give up any additional capital unless it's just like cheap day three picks, whatever. Right. They're like, oh, we'll send you a fourth rounder if you send us a fifth rounder back. Kind of crap. Like, who cares? Like, but you're hoping what Peyton does with the extra capital given to him by the Von Miller trade is exactly. he can land the talent needed to at, at least provide an answer at a couple of these spots and and find some bargain free agents. Like, I think what he did. From, when you look at their pro evaluation, I think when they nailed Stephen Weatherly yes. for what they picked for what they paid for him, and then you look at Jonas Griffith. I think I think what they paid for him was dirt cheap, considering what he did for them, right? And and like that, I, that when you look at that aspect of it, I think you're kind of hoping that that's what their process is for this first year, and then moving forward. Obviously, it just depends. If they do have Rodgers, it depends on how long his skill set stays up. So, so let's the the three big needs on defense that I see. And again, tell me, you know, I, I'm coming at this from a fan's perspective. So, you know, talk me off the ledge if I'm, you know, in any way mistaken here. We mentioned no slot corners, uh, unless you believe Michael Ojemudia can do it next year, or Ronald Darby can slide inside. Um, I don't, I think like it's possible, but we have no idea. Like we don't have real any proof. And the other thing to keep in mind is Ronald Darby has ne- only played it a full regular season. Once Michael Ojemudia missed almost the entirety of last year due to injury. Uh, so they need depth there no matter what, but I think like you need to identify and find a slot corner. The good news is slot corners are typically pretty easy to find in terms of like, if we're looking at positional scarcity, the Broncos, if, should be able to find at least a passable slot corner in like the third wave of free agency or somewhere in the draft. The one thing that makes me nervous always is if you're drafting a a rookie corner, you never really know until you know, um, just because the jump is pretty big, but they could feasibly find a a three, you know, a a late free agent who could help there. Uh, The other thing is linebacker. We touched on this. Jonas Griffith is an exclusive rights free agent. He will be back. Um, in the piece that Peyton talked to Broncos.com, he basically made it out to sound like he's going to bring him back. Exclusive rights free agents. If you want them back, they're back. Like there's not really a whole lot yeah, of drama there. Uh, so I, I expect Jonas Griffith, Justin Sternod, and Baron Browning will all be on the Broncos roster in training camp. I'm not exactly positive Justin Sternod stays on the Broncos roster as they go through cuts, depending on what else they do. Um, we'll see. I'm not, you know, I'm not rooting against him. I just, based on what I've seen, I'm not I'm sure he'll make there. it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then linebacker is another one of those spots. And I've looked at Peyton's draft history when he was with the Vikings. The Vikings only ever used two like premium picks on linebackers. Uh, Eric Kendricks and uh, Anthony Barr. Anthony Barr is going to be a free agent. Um, and Anthony Barr has definitely declined a little bit. So I don't expect him to make, you know, buco bucks. As much money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Peyton was the assistant GM when they drafted him ninth overall and Peyton was the assistant GM of the Vikings when they re-signed him to like a $67 million deal. So like, I, I would assume that Peyton does hold him in pretty high regard and he, yeah, that might be the the problem. The problem is, is that 
Anthony Barr is coming from a different scheme. He is. Than what they're going to try and run. And he's so, not good in coverage. No. So unless they're going to just play him at like outside linebacker and for the first time in his career, just say, okay, go rush the passer like you did. <laughs> yeah. Like when they, yeah, like, I, I don't know, but what, one thing that's interesting to me related to Aaron Rodgers is if the Packers cap room situation, they're probably going to have to cut one or both of Preston Smith and Zedaria Smith. Yep. Guess who, guess who played with one of them? I guess, or guess who was on the staff with both of them? There you go. Yep. All of these package coaches. But another link that I find it, that I find interesting, I touched this on my last horse tracks article. Chandler Jones was at Syracuse when Hackett was there. Guess who's a free agent? Yeah, the thing with Chandler yeah, Jones, Chandler though, Jones. Is Jones is going to want to get paid. Like I don't, I don't discount sure, what you're but, saying. Sure, but I just, the I just, way that you can, you can, you can structure you can stack it. You can structure it. it. You can yeah, structure yeah. it perfectly fine. And like if, if Chandler Jones wants to come here, yeah, you do yeah. everything in your power you can to get Chandler Jones on this roster. And that's one of those things. I'm not of the mindset that I feel like it's really fair to say any free agent is just out the door because of cost, because we just saw the way that Peyton structured contracts last year. Uh, Justin Simmons only counted for like $4.8 million against the cap last year. Granted, they're paying it's for it. They're going to pay for it now. Um, but like they did that with, uh, they did that with Darby. They did that with Simmons. They did that with Bowles last year. Um, and then they did that with Sutton and Patrick. So like they can definitely figure out a way to structure it if they want to add any player. And if you do have Rogers, and again, we're kind of assuming that in this situation, if you do have Rogers, you're going to be a draw in terms of people are going to want to play in Denver for a chance to chase a ring with Rogers, assuming, you know, that they don't hate him. Uh, so I, I do think that there are ways to kind of try and solve the edge rush. I agree with you because uh, Zedarius Smith, I am all for it. If, if Zedarius Smith wants yeah. to come to Denver, I loved watching him. And granted, he was hurt for a big chunk last year. That might hurt his cap, like in terms of like what he's going to yeah. make. But I don't doubt his talent. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Yeah, and then he's I also great. think you look at you look at guys like Hassan Reddick. Yeah. Uchenna um, Nwosu uh, is going to be a free agent from the Chargers. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just trying to I'm trying to go through guys in my head. Dennis Gardick from the Cardinals. I thought Dennis Gardick was freaking phenomenal last year. I haven't watched him this year, but I loved him. Um, Arden Key, although he's more, I don't know if he's necessarily scheme fit. Randy Gregory is coming available. Um, there's, there's a few guys that I'm like interested in. Uh, if if Evero wants to bring in a guy from the Rams, Obo Garonquo, who by the way, it's just my favorite name to say. And he played for OU, so I naturally I'm just all for it. But like, he's been a good situational pass rusher for the Rams. And if he wants to bring in another guy for cheap that has connections with Evero, fits the scheme, Okoronko makes a lot of sense too. Um, and, and he's been pretty good. Like He struggled with injuries the first couple of years, but recently he's been just lights out when he's played. And then the other thing that really is helpful in terms of the in terms of edge rusher, if the Broncos are looking for edge uh, specifically, not line well linebacker as well. We'll get to linebacker in a second. Broncos obviously also need edge rushers. Uh, Bradley Chubb. Bradley Chubb has been on injured reserve three of the last four years, at least for part of the season, uh, with lower body injuries. He also tore an ACL before he was drafted. So like lower body ailments with Bradley Chubb is definitely a, just a it's going to be a huge concern probably for the rest of his career. 
Um, I hope that, you know, he can kind of move past it and get back to like Pro Bowl form that he showed. But I don't think you can count on that. I think you have to plan like you need edge rushers. And again, Peyton basically said as much uh, in the piece that he talked to Eric Dalala is that they, they need a mismatch edge rusher um, like Vaughn Miller. Uh, but the cool somebody, thing is, somebody who can draw the attention away. Yeah. Right. Cool. Like, like when, when 2019, no, 2020, and not, not last year, but the year before, when Bradley Chubb was healthy, what they were able to do with him basically playing just Joker, and they would just put him on one side and then everybody else on the other. Yep. And would just overload fronts. But like, because he drew that kind of attention. Like when Va- when Bradley Chubb was healthy and in prime form, that's what he was providing the impact for. So like, that's why Malik Reed's stats were kind of inflated was because Bradley Chubb drew so much attention away and, and on I want- him. And that's what Peyton wants. I'm glad and you they brought- are sitting pretty to get one at number nine. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I want to say that because we we have been shitting on Malik Reed a little bit. The thing with Malik Reed is the thing <laughs> with we'll, the Eagles, so it's okay. But the, but the thing with Malik Reed is Malik Reed is a good role player whose stats looked very good because he played across from Von Miller one year, Bradley Chubb one year, and then this year he didn't have either. So yeah, his production is going to fall off a cliff because all of a sudden he's not taking advantage of overmatch like single single blockers who are not devoting attention to him. Like that's what was happening before. And then all of a sudden this year, he was the only real edge rusher of note for big stretches of the season. And it showed up. Um, But I agree. If they if they do have that pick at nine, again, in that scenario, they do not have Aaron Rodgers. But if they have that pick at nine, this edge group, I, like I, that's the area, you and I have been talking about this, you know, on, you know, outside of cover two. Edge has been the, the position group that I have been really focused on because it's so obvious that the Broncos need one. And this class is the best draft class I have really studied in the last four years in terms of edge. Maybe not in terms of the very top. Like there's not there's not a Joey Bosa there's in this no class. There's no Chase there's Young. No Chase Young. But the Broncos are picking at nine, so that doesn't hurt them. Like they were not going to get that guy anyway. Um we're overthinking Thibodeau right now. I do not think he falls to nine. Oh, absolutely. But God help me. If he falls to nine, they have to run the card in. Uh just because yeah. I mean, he's got the burst. Like he's got the burst, and he's got good enough bend, um, and he's strong yeah. enough, long enough well, to be a mismatch. What was what was strange to me was Daniel Jeremiah went on the PFF pod and was talking about it. He was like, Thibodeau is a little stiff, and that's why I think he fall. And I'm like, if Thibodeau is a little stiff, what the hell is Aiden Hutchinson, right? <laughs> what is George Car? What is George Karloftis if if Thibodeau is stiff? If Thibodeau is a little stiff, I don't get yeah, that. I'm like, no, I, I don't know how you have Hutchinson number one and then Dink Tibbs for being a little stiff. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. To me, I think we're going to end up seeing Thibodeau go through the same thing that we got to see with Justin Fields last year, where everybody comes out of the woodwork to throw random shit. None of it actually makes any sense. But basically, they're just rationalizing the fact that the NFL doesn't like him as much as we thought they did. Um, and again. <laughs> Well, and, and, and basically the funny part about this is a lot of people were predicting it as soon as Thibodeau came out and said that he went to Oregon for his brand. It was like, all right, here, here we come. Like, we're going to start to knock his character because he didn't want to go to Alabama. And it's like, yeah, I don't really care if you went to Alabama or Oregon, if you can play, I, I'm just going to say it. Like, yeah. I don't care where you went to college. If you went to Syracuse, if you went to Eastern Iowa, if you went to, you know, Western Kentucky state, like it's all good to me if you can play. 
Uh, yeah. and, he can, and he can play. So right, um, he's got the player, not the helmet. And, and, and we exactly. say that all the time. And the other thing is, um, and this is kind of going into like getting into the weeds a little bit on this edge class. If the Broncos do plan on kind of keeping Bradley Chubb around, and I think they're going to hopefully do so. Like, I think they're going to try and approach fifth year options, see if he can stay healthy. Depending on what happens, it'll affect the, the money amount, but I think they're going to try and keep him. Uh, yeah. But if they do so, I think, and again, this is a theory just based on what I know of the Fangio defense, I think they're going to still collect these lighter speed rusher ends. Like, they're not necessarily going to go really heavy. Uh, just because the, the, Ra- the Rams and the Broncos and the Fangio defense in general, and I know a lot of fans will hate this, but edge rushers drop into coverage some. That just it, it happens. Like you do it, it's a mismatch. It 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 causes issues because the protection has to account for the edge rusher. They will slide over, and then all of a sudden that guy's not there, and the edge the pressure is coming from the other side, and you have a guy in coverage. Like there's a whole thing. I've talked to uh, Coach Alexander about this before. I've talked to other people about this before. So like I I'm of the note of like yes I understand people getting mad about it. Like I don't think Von Miller should be covering Chase Claypool. But I understand why he's dropping into coverage every now and then. And if right. you're gonna and if you're gonna have that happening, you don't want a George Karloftis who you and I disagree on him. Like I and I'm I'm kind of beating up on him and I have not watched enough of him yet to like say with I, I can't say this with certainty, but what I have seen of him, I do not think he is a clean fit in what I think the Broncos are gonna do on defense. No, I, I, I would agree with you there. I just I just think he's such a fantastic player like, i think he's a four i'll probably end. have him top 10 i think he's a seven technique for a four three defense i, I mean he's he's 270 so i don't yeah. know if you're gonna yeah like <laughs> uh so like i don't know if you're necessarily gonna ask him to move in coverage i think he's a good enough athlete that if he drops some weight he could do it uh but to, you know he's a power rusher he wins yes. with his power and he, and he knows it um and, but i i think if you're looking for that mold david ajabo just makes so much freaking sense. I love him. David Ajala. I, I think he's a stud. So far, I, I think so far honestly, he is my favorite. So far, he is my favorite edge in this class. I like. Honestly, I like him. I, I I think I think Ajabo is better than Hutchinson. I need to study. Like I've watched Hutchinson as a fan. I'm I'm a Michigan fan. I've watched Hutchinson quite a bit, you know, on broadcast. But I haven't studied him yet, just because first of all, there's no way the Broncos are going to get him. So I'm. I've been trying. I've been trying to prioritize it, it, the players that may actually be. He'll probably go. He'll probably go number two to Detroit. Two. Yeah, I would. It makes sense. Uh, but I love Ajabo. Like I, I have not seen. He is my favorite edge prospect that I have seen. I, I tend to love speed rushers, but he's my favorite edge prospect since Brian Burns. Uh, in terms of like guys that Brian I studied. Yeah. People people thought it was crazy because I thought I thought Brian Burns could be an edge one. Like I had him above Bosa because of the injury concerns back then. Granted, I get it. Oh, okay. Yeah, but like for me, it was like for the Broncos defense, Brian Burns was the better fit. Too. Yeah. And and oh, I yeah, see the same thing with Ajabo. And I think we're we're knocking his run defense. I get it. Um the Bron- the yeah, Wolverines the Wolverines took him off the field against heavy personnel. So like it is a question mark. But I think he's stronger than he gets credit for. I think he uses his hands a lot better than he gets credit for. I think he he has he has enough rush moves already, and he he dabbles with a lot of rush moves to think that like if you give him a good coach in a year, this is a Pro Bowl edge rusher. In in two years, he is probably pushing All Pro. Yeah, and he's the kind yeah. of first step mismatch bend rusher 
you're you're going to be able to line him up out wide and cause every single yeah. tackle to shit their pants. Somebody somebody said that he struggled in the UGA tape. I think that's a little crap. I, he looked phenomenal. Like he, they were just. Ra- I mean, even, I mean, even Lance Zerline is out here highlighting how good he was against UGA. Like, and, and Lance Zerline is a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> so, so if, if we're agreeing on something, I, I tend to believe that we're kind of on the right track. Ajabo is just like if they think a lot of people com- is going to compare him to Owe last year, but he's better than Owe. Was. He's better than Owe. I mean, he's yeah, better than he's right. better than Oa as a prospect. I, I, like I always want to say it like that. I have oh, not studied I think as a prospect and a player. Well, I, I haven't studied Oa's rookie season. That's that's why I say it like that. Yeah. But but that's as fair. a but as a prospect, like I have I have studied Odafe Oa. Yeah. I have studied David Jabo. I would take Ojabo over what I saw from Odafe. Uh, yeah. The cool thing about this class, and I and I want to kind of move to this. The really cool thing about this class, based on you know where I'm at with the prospects at this point, if the Broncos did trade for Aaron Rodgers, but they still have a second round pick. There are first round caliber players that are going to probably be available in the top 100, like throughout the top 100. This edge class is really, really rich. Edge class is ridiculous. This is yeah. the, that's the I best mean, position group in this draft by what, far. What you're going to see is you're going to see guys that typically would sneak into like round one or early, like top 50, guys like Nick Benito. We were going to fall through the cracks because they weren't like senior bowl guys or whatever. Nick Benito is a freaking stud, by the way. Like, I'm watching you. Want, if you want, um, I got Oklahoma tape. I can send it to you. Yeah, please do. Um, but him, when you look at his pass rush productivity and how he wins, like it's almost like an Ojabo light, basically. Not quite as freaking athlete, but great bend, great burst. Um, I think you got to see guys like that. Just kind of slip through the cracks, and that's what Peyton did with Jonathan Cooper last year. So you're kind of hoping, even if they don't have pick nine, this edge class, and I would say this corner class too, to an ex- to an extent, has that same like, holy crap, this guy this guy could probably gone in the second round last year, and I'm getting him here in like the late third. There, there's two other guys that have really kind of hit that I've seen that really kind of caught my eyes. You know, David Ajabo, light-ish type players. Uh, Majai Sanders, um, I know you and I have talked about him a little bit. He, a lot of the knocks that you hear about Ajabo, I think are actually applicable to Sanders. And again, that's not to say he's bad, Definitely. but the, the questions about run defense, I think apply to him. I think I like his rush moves. I think he needs to continue to polish his rush moves. The one question I have about him, he ends up on the ground in the tape I've watched. He has ended up on the ground a little bit more than I really like. Uh, part of that is footwork. Part of that, I think, is like core strength. I think he needs to get a little bit stronger. But he showed up to the senior bowl at 240. Uh, so that is yeah. a good sign. And he carried it well. So yeah. like those kind of things yeah, are he, a good like, sign. He, he, was putting guys, he was putting guys in a blender in Mobile. He beat um, up so that, Daniel Falele. And that guy is 6'8", 350 well, pounds. Granted, that guy struggled. Yeah, that guy, that guy struggled. <laughs> Everybody but, but still, like, if you have questions about Sanders' strength, like, the fact that he was able to tee off and beat Flele is a good sign. Um, yeah. But And the other thing wow. that really showed up to me with him, but he has an inside spin, he has an outside spin, he has a rip move, he has a swim move. And again, like, all these need to improve at the next level to consistently beat professional tackles. But the fact that he's showing that much, like re- that much of a repertoire in college, is a good sign. Like you don't want yeah. a guy who has no hands and doesn't show any willingness to use them. 
Um, that's not Sanders at all. No. And another one that, that stood out to me is just kind of like this guy's got the juice, I, I like, especially the senior bowl. It's uh, Moffitt from Moffitt, I think. I don't. Boye Moffitt from Minnesota. He's another guy I need to get more tape of. I have a little bit. Yeah. I do not have here. enough. Um, but I, yeah. but I saw he's, Daniel he's Jeremiah a, was raving about him and I know he was on yeah, the list before the season. Him, Arnold, Abikete. I love Abikete. him. Uh, Abiketti. Yeah. I call, I don't know. I don't know if that's yeah, how you Abiketti. pronounce it. I don't know I how apologize. to pronounce Yeah. I um, need to get better at all these names. So again, if you were I, on the off chance, any of you guys are listening to this, I apologize if we are pronouncing your name wrong, we will get it better as we get close to the draft. Yeah. But I, I actually just finished Abiketti Tuesday. He might be my favorite speed rusher in this class who is not David Ajabo. I like him a lot. He, he's, he's fun. He's got very he's good fun. bend. He he doesn't have the same first step burst that Ojabo has. I don't think anybody probably does, or maybe Tibbs. But but Ebiketti's bend is really good. He has a very reliable swim move. Um, for the fact that he's 6'2", 250, he does not play like he has short arms. Um, and he doesn't. I think yeah. he measured in at 34 inches. That's good. That's very good because he's low enough to the ground that he's going to win the leverage battle against most guys. But he's not so short armed where guys can latch on and just knock him out of the play. That is probably one of the biggest yeah. issues Cooper runs into is that he has short arms. Yeah, that wouldn't be an issue with Abiketti. Uh, what another a guy that stands out to me, but I'd be really, really hesitant on because of the off the field. Sam is Williams. Sam Williams. Yeah, yeah. I like, have not studied on the field. On the field, great talent. I mean, like we're talking about a top fifty caliber player on the field. And he and he he played pretty well at the senior bowl. Um, but like the fact that of like the, the off the field concerns, I, I believe it was domestic assault. And like that that is typically like a no go for me. Like it, it, like you put your hands on a woman. No, like, I, I don't want any. Like right, like it, I don't know if that that we can get into a personal debate about that. It's different. It's a different story. But you're not going to hear me. You're not going to hear me debate that the Broncos should draft guys who have domestic. And again, I haven't done any work on Sam Williams, so I don't actually know what it is. But if that's what it is, I totally understand taking him off the board. I took Micah Parsons off my board last year because I didn't really feel comfortable knowing so little about the off-field stuff. If I don't have like a clear answer in my mind on like what it was, I personally don't feel comfortable with the player. Yeah, I mean. We knew what the Jeffrey Simmons issue was, right? We knew what the Laramie Tunzel issue was. That was one of the wildest things I've ever seen. Same. On, on draft, draft, the Laramie Tunzel thing was just, like, mind-blowing. But, like, with Sam Williams, like, as a player, really good. It's just kind of like, eh, I don't know if I feel comfortable really going, oh, that's my brand. You know, like, that guy's just odd. Oh, he's kind of meh no i'm good well the thing the thing Um, and again i say this having not studied him having not done any work on him but in a class like this where you do have like 10 15 really promising edge rushers it it may not be worth taking a swing on a guy if he has like those kind of questions just because you can probably find a similarly graded player who doesn't yeah he'll he'll go to the chiefs they got everybody that does (laughs) that Uh, so, but those, those to me, the, I, I want to mention though, those are the three big needs on defense, uh, slot corner and honestly corner in general, because Darby's contract next year, the Broncos could move on from it if they want to, 
Uh, so corner yeah. in general could make sense. Um, I know everybody will roll their eyes if Peyton takes a corner really high, but like I could see it. Uh, edge rusher, we just talked mm-hmm. about that. Linebacker, I want to mention a couple of the prospects just because we didn't talk about that a whole lot. We talked about free agency, but the other thing with linebacker is linebacker is a position group. Um, like I mentioned, when Peyton was with the Vikings, they drafted, I want to say, 11 linebackers on day three uh, over the 13 years he was there. This draft looks like it's going to have some decent talent at linebacker. Um, And in terms of top end talent, there's quite a few guys. Like this is probably one of the more athletic linebacker classes that I've studied since I started working for my report. Probably actually probably the most athletic linebacker class. Uh, But there's guys that are going to be there on day two and day three that fit the mold of what you really want. If you're looking in the, and Peyton looks like he wants an athletic guy at linebacker. Brian Asamoah. Brian Asamoah is very athletic. Uh, Chad Muma, I don't know how he's going to test, but Chad Muma, you watch him yeah. on tape. He moves like an athletic guy. Um, I think the Georgia linebackers, I think I'd keep an eye on those. Both of them, yeah. Um, not, not just, not just to Kobe Dean, but Quay Walker and Shane Kendall. Uh, Damone Clark from LSU. If you go watch some of his reps, you're like, whoa, this guy's super smart. And so if they're kind of wanting to be like, okay, we got Baron Browning. Let's get, let's kind of get another like later, like a run defense, like parallel essentially to him. Cause they're like, we don't want J- Josie Jewel. He's too unathletic. Um, I'd be like, okay, let's go to Mon Clark. Uh, then you've got like, Darian Beavers from Cincinnati and Terrell Bernard. Darian Beavers. Uh, I heard this. Trevor Sycamore mentioned this on the PFF uh, stock exchange, I believe. But Beavers has like 700 special team snaps. And, and again, like if you're taking a guy on day three, those linebackers typically have to make their way on special teams, at least early in their career. So like, that's a promising yeah. sign that he was already doing it in college. Yeah. Um, and then like Troy Anderson, who is a converted quarterback moving over to linebacker. He showed out at the senior bowl. That guy at is popped on film. I was, I was stunned. Um, like there, there's a lot of really good linebackers. They're going to be able to get on day three and day two and day three. And I think if he's following that mold, where it's like, hey, I got Jonas Griffiths for dirt cheap. I got Baron Browning with a third round pick, right? Like, and he, like, and you look at Eric Kendricks was a second round pick, and Eric Kendricks was phenomenal. Yep. I I doubt they're gonna spend number nine on the linebacker. Like, I've seen it mocked. I've seen Devin Lloyd. I've seen Nicobe Dean there. I really don't think it makes sense. I would have a lot of trouble with it, not because I don't like, like, I like Nicobe Dean. I've watched him a good bit. Uh, I like him a lot. I don't like it just because, and we've talked about positional value a hundred times on this pod, but like in terms of scarcity, again, like it is much easier to find good enough linebackers compared to an offensive tackle compared to a premier edge rusher compared to a top tier corner. Like those are the position groups you should be aiming at with a 10th overall, like a pick in the top 10 Uh, off ball linebacker. I have questions about it. Kobe Dean, is who you take if they had hired Jonathan Gannett? <laughs> no, like, no, like that's not a, that's not a shot, but like, I'm serious. Like, that's who you that's who you take if they hire Jonathan Gannett because that's what Jonathan Gannett needs. You look at Philly; they don't have any linebackers. <laughs> it's like that. They've got like two safeties. They moved over to linebacker, and they're like, okay, here you go. Hope for the best. Um, but like, seriously, that's who you take if you hire if you had hired Dan Quinn or you had hired Jonathan Gannett. They needed that linebacker. And, but now you're sitting here going, like, I 
does it really make sense? Now, if we're sitting here in the second and third round, let's you know, presumably they take, let's say they trade for Rodgers, but they keep their picks. If if they come out of the Rodgers trade, keeping all four of those picks in the second and third round, George Payton is, is a executive of the year. Executive of the year. Yeah. Like, Without pardon my French. I never, I almost never say that word, but I'm that, that that's how like much I emphasize that. Like, I, I expect them to give up at least three first round picks. Like, I just think that that's going to probably be where the trade offers stand. And I think that Broncos yeah. fans are sleeping on the fact that Pittsburgh is going to be involved in this. Uh, just because Pittsburgh, like Denver, their roster looks like you land a quarterback, you are right back in the Super Bowl mix. Um, and if they don't get a quarterback, that roster is going to age out very quickly. So like they have to make a move this off season. But again, if the Broncos can land Aaron Rodgers and all they're giving up is three firsts and maybe a player. Yeah. Or if it's like, or if it's like two firsts and like Bradley Chubb or no offense, like you do it yeah, every day. Okay. You Bye. have to. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good luck to you in um, green Bay. I hope, you know, I hope Jordan love is I, better than I, I do. I do want to say, I do want to say Albright basically has said, he just came out and said this 15 minutes ago while we were recording. He said the Aaron Rodgers thing is going to be decided before March 8th. So we'll know. We'll know ahead of time. I don't exactly know if that's when free agency starts. I, I want to say that sounds right. I don't um, say it was the 18th. Free agency officially starts. But I might be wrong. So, I have to look. So they'll know. But I, I would imagine this would get done before that, before that March 8th date. Like, like, cause Stafford was done in January, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's if if that is if it's available and Rogers comes out and says, because he said he's publicly said his decision will be made in February. So, like, if he comes out and he's like, "Hey, I'm I'm, I'm out of here," right? You got to figure out the rest. And if if that package includes Jerry Judy, I would I would say as much as I love Jerry Judy. Getting Rodgers and Adams is because they're a package deal. If you're going to get Aaron Rodgers, you're more than likely going to get Devontae Adams. If that's the case, yeah, yeah, sign, sign me up. As much as I love Jerry Judy, sign me up for that. So moving to the offense, because like, I don't disagree with anything you just said. I just, looking at the offense, because the other aspect of this is I want I want to kind of touch on is there is a very vocal segment of Broncos country that believes that the Broncos essentially are quarterback away from contending for a Super Bowl. You and I both agree. I think that there's enough holes on defense that they could contend, but it's not a given that they're suddenly Super Bowl favorites. Like in the AFC West, AFC West is loaded. Um, we talked about the defense. It still runs through Kansas City. It's still, and the thing is, they they have to solve that right tackle issue one way or the other, whether they have Aaron Rodgers or not. And that's honestly probably my biggest complaint about George Payton through first year of his tenure as GM beyond again, I, I am very vocal about the idea that they passed on Justin Fields and Mac Jones and people get livid and I get it because like, I'm not trying to like, I guess I am, but Justin Fields, you're just talking about Justin Fields. If I, if I, that's send another, if, I if I send that's who tweet, they passed on. if I make a tweet right now, it just says Justin Fields, I will have hate messages by the time I check it again. Yeah. Um, but, but the bigger, the bigger, the big issue in my mind with that is if George Payton did not believe that either of them were going to be franchise quarterbacks, I understand why he didn't take them. I disagree, but I understand it. The thing that I still have a really hard time wrapping my head around from George Payton's first off season 
is they didn't really do anything to give them long-term stability at tackle. Uh, and they had every opportunity to, they had free agency and then they hit the draft and they came out of the draft with Juwan James and the 65 snaps that he had played over two years. And the idea was, oh yeah, he'll be healthy this year. And then within a week he got hurt. They cut him and they ended up signing Bobby Massey and Cameron Fleming. And again, both of them played better than I dare say most of us expected, but they also, but they're not, kinda, long-term. But they're not long-term and they both kind of met exactly my critiques when I studied them. Bobby Massey got hurt. His, his height works both to his advantage and to against him. Um, I think if they do resign one of them, he is the better fit for the new offense, but he's not, he's not a real like stout run blocker and against power rushers or really twitched up rushers. He's going to have issues in pass protection. He's not a long-term yeah. answer. The problem is because you didn't draft a tackle last year, chances are drafting a tackle this year doesn't solve the issue this year. You ta- you draft a tackle to develop him to be an answer long-term. Uh, I want to say uh, Timo Risk, who works for Pro Football Focus, did a study two years ago about uh, development of positions in the NFL. And offensive linemen almost always take two to three years to develop. That's just how it works. Um, we all hold up, you know, the guys that are outliers, but most rookies struggle with pass pro early in their careers. Yeah. In one area that I could see them kind of because the likelihood that they're going to get the best tackle in this class and Evan Neal is pretty slim to none. Yeah. Right. It, it would take something drastic for that to happen. Um, so he's probably going to go number one overall, if we're being honest. Um, so some, somebody, somebody on PFF was like, they should draft a receiver. I just wanted to like slap him in the face. Um, but like, then you're probably not going to get Equonu, right? Icky. Probably not going to get him. You might get Charles Cross, and if you get Charles Cross, I'd feel I'd feel a little better because I, I think Charles Cross is the best pass protecting class or tackle in this class, like straight up. Like, and I and I think that's say if they go ahead. And, and I think and I think it, with his familiarity with the outside zone coming in from the leech tree. Now, granted, they use wider splits in the leech tree and the air raid, so that'll be a little bit of an adjustment. But even in wide splits, when you see him hold up on an island on his own, like, I mean, he was he was batting hundred against Alabama, like just phenomenal, phenomenal reps. Will Anderson. I mean, no matter no matter who they put up against him, he was looking he looked great. So like, I would feel comfortable with him moving over to the right side because I I already know he knows how to do it, right? You're not rebuilding his technique and moving him over, right? It, it, you know, you know, I'm trying. Like, you obviously are going to tweak his technique, but he's not a raw prospect that at left tackle, and you're going to immediately shift everything back over it, right? Um, so, I think that, like, if that's an area that they, if they are still picking at nine, but if they aren't, I would honestly try and look at trying to trade for Mike McGlinchey from the 49ers. And, and that's what I was going to talk about. Like, this tackle gl- class is pretty good. Uh, I do think that there are players it's yeah, it's, it's pretty damn good at the top. And I do think that there are some intriguing developmental prospects later on, but if the Broncos do not take a tackle at nine, they are probably not getting immediate help by drafting a tackle this year. Uh, Bernard Ram is probably a year away from being good. Um, and he's an older prospect. 
Trevor Penning. Yeah, he's like 24, 25. Trevor Penning is, has all the tools you could ask for, but he also has a lot of issues with his hands. And we he's watched, hilarious. and we watched what happened with Garrett Bowles. Like early in his career, Garrett Bowles had a ton of issues with his hands. Trevor Penning is probably going to have a lot of similar issues in terms of getting beat because his punch is off. Um, and he'll make up for his tools, you, but you're going to have some ugly plays. I will tell you, I'm very intrigued by Sean Ryan, the tackle out of UCLA. I haven't watched him. He's he, he's primarily left tackle. Some people have him as a guard. I don't know why. I, I You know my mantra of quit moving good tackles to guard, right? I mean, if Sean Ryan, look at what he did against Thibodeau. Like, holy crap, are you kidding me? And he, he plays left tackle. He plays some right tackle in different looks. So, like, it's not totally unfamiliar to him to have to move over. And I think he's a great fit in the outside zone. He's a fantastic athlete. And, and great grip strength. Just fantastic grip strength. Uh, he's an explosive mover. He's a smart player, heads-up player. So, like, if they can get him in the second round, like, I'm all for it. But if they can't and they're saying they're going, well, crap. Like, all of our all the guys we, want, we identified – are gone or something like that. I'd be on the phone with San Fran, like, hey, uh, we got a fourth rounder here for you. <laughs> you know, you want to send us Mike McGlinchey and San Fran's like, yeah, we need the cap room. So there you go. Like, because Mike McGlinchey fits. And although he's not an elite pass protector, he's better than Bobby Massey. He's a fantastic freaking run blocker. Yeah. So, like, it, it's a good enough solution at right tackle, but they need something long term. And that's definitely it's something long term. And it's one of those things where I think the best approach at right tackle this offseason is going to be figuring out what you can do for this year, whether it's McGlinchey or maybe Billy Turner is cut by the Packers. Um, he would make sense. Uh, Bobby Massey, if that's what you're going to do. Kelvin Anderson, if you're going to give him a shot. Uh, I get it. Like I, I think that you need to have somebody ready to step in immediately, but I also think you need to take somebody in the draft that you're actually going to develop. And that's where the Broncos, in my opinion, that was my complaint about Peyton's first year. They didn't take anybody last year. And last year's tackle draft, I know that a lot of the rookies didn't do a lot. But again, keep in mind, tackles tend to take a year to develop. And most of them will probably be looking a lot better now. And the Broncos didn't take anybody. They have Drew Himmelman, who is an undrafted free agent. And now they don't have Mike Munchak, who is like his biggest advocate. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and... And to be fair, Mike Munchak had uh, Austin Schlotman as his as his big thing, and yeah, that didn't turn out so well. Uh, but like last year's draft class in terms of tackles was a hundred times better than what this one is. It was deeper because you had way deeper. You had yeah, you had you had the elite freaks at the top, right? Sewell looked amazing. Slater looked amazing, right? But then you had guys in the second round that they passed on in, in like Sam Cosme who looked fantastic at right tackle for Washington. Like, and he'd be a freaking awesome fit in their scheme now. Like that, that you and I, you and I agree on this. Like the, the fact that they were just kind of like, Oh, well, maybe he'll be healthy. That didn't, that didn't turn out so well. Like, and that's, and that's one of those things why when people try and do the whole, like, Oh, trust in Peyton, uh, you know, if he believes in blah, 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 I trust him. I understand as a fan wanting every single thing your GM does to be right. But in the first off season, he believed that Juwan James and his 65 snaps would stay healthy enough 
that they did nothing to address tackle until Juwan James got hurt. And then they were picking at the fourth, the fourth like uh, wave of free agency to replace him. So it was a mistake. It like, there's no way around that. That was a pretty big <laughs> issue. Um, so like to me, those are the four big kind of like big holes on the roster outside of quarterback. I know you and I have talked about this before. I also think defensive tackle could definitely use some help. Um, I like yeah. this defensive tackle class a lot more than I thought I would. Um, I have not studied it's everybody great. yet, but I think Jordan Davis, I think we're going to have the same discussion with Jordan Davis that we had with Derek Brown. Um, except Jordan Davis is not as good a pass rusher as Derek Brown was even. Um, so I think I would like him in the second round. If he fell that far, I don't think he'll fall that far because somebody's going to want a defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. He is probably going to end up being an elite run defender. Uh, if you're going to play light boxes, you could convince me that that makes sense. Like imagine, you know, like a supercharged Mike Purcell, but taking him at nine, no way I would, I would lose my shit if they drafted him at nine. Uh, I, I will tell you, I am, I would be really intrigued to see him end up in Baltimore. Oh, he'd be a great fit. Cause, in Baltimore. Cause they're, they're probably, they'll probably lose Brandon Williams. Yeah. Right. Um, Calais Campbell is probably also gone too. Um, but like the, the players like Jordan Davis change the math for you up front. They do. Right. Like, like you, you know, nothing is coming up that way. That's why Georgia could just do whatever the heck they wanted front wise. Because when Jordan Davis was on the field, I think, I think he played maybe, I think it was like six, 700 snaps. So like, like, like they took him off a fair amount. Yeah, they did. Obviously. And, and that, and that's a critique that people have shown up, but like, when he's on the field, he was pretty clearly the best player or one of them at least. And like the way that he changes your looks and changes the math for you on defense, like he's going to be a high impact player. That being said, if the Broncos turn around and they're looking there in the second round for defensive line help and they're sitting there going, Oh man, look at Phil, look at Federian Mathis from Alabama. I haven't watched him yet. He's next. Look at Terry on Winfrey. Look at Perry on Winfrey. Man, at the senior ball, he was just nobody could block him. It was like that first day he struggled a couple reps and then just totally dominated everybody from then on. Uh, and then you, you're talking so many different guys from just all over. Um, the other Georgia tackle, Devontae White. I was going to mention Jones. Alex Jones from UConn, who was unblockable at the senior ball, too. Devon- Logan Hall would be, would be a great five tech replacement for Shelby like and and that's the other part of this that I think is worth mentioning with defensive tackle is like Ronald Darby Shelby Harris's extension essentially it was one cheap year last year one pretty expensive year this year and then next year it is another fairly expensive year but you can easily move on if you want to and judging by how judging by how he played last year it would not surprise me if they move on from him next year, again, not rooting for it, but I do think that they, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they take a tackle this year with the idea that they're hedging their bets for life after him. Uh, he's already going to be 30. He'll yeah. turn, he'll turn 31 uh, on my birthday on August 11th. Uh, and the thing is Devonte Wyatt kind of fits the skill set that you have with Shelby Harris. And he is like 25 pounds heavier. Yeah, like it, Wyatt to me, his quickness for his size is just uncanny. I mean, I did not believe that he was. One on one. I didn't believe he was three fifteen until I looked it up. Yeah, 
I think he came in at the Senior Bowl around there. I don't That's quite remember, but but he's like, one of those guys. When I was watching Jordan Davis, he just pops on the tape. Like you just you, like you're watching yeah. Davis, and all of a sudden you're like, "Oh, who's that yeah, making this way?" Oh yeah, I was watching again. Insane about about Georgia is it's like they had like what three or four defensive linemen that could go in the first round. Yeah, and then one of them wasn't even draft eligible, and you're like, "What the heck? Like, what is up with this team?" Um, like I, I when you watch Wyatt and then Trevon Walker. I think Walker would be a great fit at five tech too. Same. I mean, and he's a freak athlete. I mean, he can drop in coverage. He's like 280, 285, and they're like, yeah, you want to drop in and take the number three or number four in coverage? Go for it. He's one of those guys that I think come combine testing, I think he's going to end up being a riser because I think he's going to test out of the gym. He's I I I've I've put a bet with Swami on him. I'm like, I I think he's gonna hit a 10 rats. I think he will. I know I I would be surprised if he's not in the nines. Uh, just because again yeah, I, I he was a five star guy. He was like one of the top ta- the top uh, recruits in the nation back when Georgia got him. And then you watch the tape and just like watch the fluidity in space. And then you remember that he's like two hundred eighty pounds, and it's it's freakish. Like he's he's a freak athlete. Yeah, yeah, just just like uncanny stuff on film. You just don't see guys Mm-mm. move like that at that size. I mean, it's just rare. Um, so like yeah. That another another need that we kind of need, I would almost say need to talk about a little bit, is I want to see them take a speed receiver because I don't know if I can trust K.J. Hamler. Um, and I also think running back. Yeah, I would say definitely running back. I also agree with you that you can't necessarily count on K.J. Hamler to stay healthy. The thing that's really tough for me with receiver is if they trade Jerry Judy or if they trade Colton Sutton or Tim Patrick, and again – I understand that Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick both signed extensions, but if you look at the details of those contracts, both of those deals, I know you know this, but for our listeners, both of those deals are very movable via trade. They do not carry a lot of dead cap uh, on the Broncos if they deal them. So if the Packers want Cortland Sutton as part of the Aaron Rodgers deal, I don't think Peyton's going to stop. Like, I think that's going to happen, which completely changes the math of what they need at receiver. Because like, if they keep Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, what you're looking for is probably a day three guy who can compete with Cajun Hamler to be the speed guy and be a significant upgrade over to what Deontay Spencer did. Cause he didn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that I would say like going into the senior bowl, I was like, man, Calvin Austin from Memphis. Like he's the guy, like I've, I've put him in a couple of mocks for mile high. I'm like, this is guy. And now it's like, he just destroyed everybody in mobile. I'm like, Oh crap. Now you know, I can't say he's that guy anymore. I, I love uh, those but, guys, but I hate those guys because they make you look really smart. Because like you had that guy before he, you know, before he shocked the world. But now it's like, well, shit. Now I can't. Now he can't be my guy. Like he can't be your guy, but he's not like an attainable target anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like to me, that that's what I want is a, is a speed guy. Because the Broncos last year just they missed KJ Hamler's speed. Yeah. Like like as Cortland Sutton was was fast. Like like he was. He was hitting like 22 miles an hour on reps, like for his size, which is uncanny. But in terms of the ability to threaten the defense, KJ Hammer went down. You're going down with an injury, changed the math. And I, I had some dude try and argue with me that if Drew Locke was a quarterback, he wouldn't have been injured, which is silly. Um, but like that kind of game speed is something the Broncos offense, it really just missed 
and they didn't have it in the return game. And I, I think with Peyton emphasizing special teams, like he has, I, I think it was speed serve, a speed receiver, whether that's in free agency, like they get somebody kind of cheap in free agency to do it, or they get some guy, somebody on day three to do it. I think that definitely is a need for them because I just don't trust H.A. Hamler to stay healthy, and I didn't think he was that good of a player. Well, and like, the, it was just his speed. It was his speed. And, and the other notable part about this is that there is not another player on the Broncos roster as of now who replicates KJ Hamler's skill set in any way. Deontay Spencer was the closest, but as I like, he, he was a returner. Like he, he was a returner who couldn't actually catch the ball or really add anything to the offense, which made KJ Hamler's injury a lot worse than it should have been just because they didn't have anybody who could fit that role and Pat Shermer didn't yeah. adjust to it. Because you look at, and it, again, this is one of those things to keep in mind. If if one of the receivers gets moved, the Broncos have Seth Williams, and Peyton seems very high on Seth Williams. On Seth Williams' skill set, feasibly can kind of step in as a poor man's Sutton or Patrick. Like, he's a bully ball, big receiver. They don't really have a route runner like Jerry Judy, but I don't think there's that many route runners in the NFL like Jerry Judy. Um, no. But they just, they just don't have a burst, like, water bug type like Hamler, other than Hamler. So I do agree yeah. with you. I think it's something that they're going to try and throw a dart at. The last one you mentioned, and again, I know I'm keeping you forever, so I apologize. But the, the last thing oh, that, that I think we need to talk about is running back, because I do agree with you. Uh, you and I mentioned before that we have some concerns about Javante Williams fit into a wide zone offense. Uh, those don't they, those have not gone away in my mind. Uh, I love Javante Williams. I think if he can improve his decision-making in wide zone, he will be very, very good. Um, I think everything else that you want from a running back, he brings to the table. But the vision stuff is, it's a significant question. Like that, that's the reason he was yeah. not a first round pick. Vision and processing were his two biggest question marks. And when you look at North Carolina, Michael Carter came on the field for those own reps. There was Javante a clear Williams came in. Javante Williams came in for gap. Like There was a clear it distinction. Was, it was a it was very clear yeah. thing. And so like, how Javante Williams fits is really concerning to me. And I, I can't imagine George Payton doesn't have a plan or a belief for it. But they also don't have a running back coach now. We didn't talk about that. But I'm fine, with, I'm fine with moving on from Watkins. I, I really was. I, I was fine with moving on from him. Um, like that, it is really a concern. And like, Especially with like Melvin Gordon hitting free agency at the same time, right? If you, Melvin Gordon was still around, I'd be like, "Yeah, okay." Are, it, are we? They'll, they'll be fine. Are we sleeping on Melvin Gordon returning? Because I and I and I only ask this because Melvin yeah. Gordon, Melvin Gordon, at the end of the season, kept talking about how he wanted to come back, and every player does this before the free agents, like you know, oh, I love it here, I want to come back. But Melvin Gordon is continuing to do that. Uh, yesterday, again, Tuesday he was at radio row at the super bowl and somebody asked him about Aaron Rodgers, And he basically came out and said, we believed that Aaron Rodgers was going to end up coming to Denver last year. And he was like, not to, you know, not to disparage the guys that were in the locker room or anything like that, but he kept saying we, and again, part of that is like, once you're a part of that team, you're still a part of that team. I get that. But, but I, I do kind of wonder, does Melvin Gordon want to remain in Denver because then you look at what George Payton said to Eric Dalala, and like he spoke very glowingly of Melvin Gordon. 
Yeah, it deservedly so. And and Melvin Gordon has the vision that is a concern with Javante Williams. So like, I don't have questions about Melvin Gordon's fit in this offense. I, don't either. I think they would run a lot of inside zone. They're going to run a lot of inside zone anyway. Uh, inside zone is Melvin Gordon's like go-to play. Uh, he That's why he was a first round pick. He was amazing at it at Wisconsin. Um, I think that the Broncos are going to end up using a good bit of it anyway to kind of tailor to Javante Williams as well. But if you have Melvin Gordon, you have Mike Boone, you can probably get by using them as the predominant outside zone runners yeah. and then just do enough of it with Javante Williams that people have to respect it, but kind of move away from it and just kind of let him be the inside zone duo guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I definitely think it's, if they can get him back for cheap. And that's the big thing right? is the money. And that, and that is that's definitely the big the biggest concern because obviously – you don't want a guy who you don't want to pay big money for Raymond and it doesn't fit the analytics approach that Hackett said he wanted. Right. But if Melvin Gordon is willing to take a significant discount to come back, Baron Rogers is here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and a name that I kind of want to mention is because as of right now, they don't have the fit for the running backs coach. I think AC Patterson from the Vikings. He's the assistant running backs coach. His dad is Andre Patterson, who coached for the Broncos. Um, I want to say mid 2000s. I could be wrong. Um, I want to say like 06, 07, somewhere in there. Uh, he's the assistant running backs coach for the Vikings. So they'd be bringing in Kubiak, Patterson, and Steele from there. You look at what they've done with Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook's processing has been freaking stellar. But what stands out to me is Madison. Look at what Alexander Madison has done as well with Minnesota and adjusting to that as a one and two punch. So I think I think that's a name to keep an eye on, certainly. But that's that was just a, oh, a minor I, deviation there. I did. I um, have I have done very little work on running backs and free agency or the draft just because so you, you oh, kind I, of I have a few names. You kinda you kinda touched on it. My approach to like my own personal philosophical approach to running back is it's idiotic to pay money for other people's mileages. Like, like I was very, very and listeners will know this. I was very opposed to signing Melvin Gordon when John Elway did it for the same reason. Uh, and I, and I would say that I, at this point is justified uh, a two year, $60 million contract for Melvin Gordon in hindsight looks like a pretty poor investment. Um, not to say I dislike Melvin Gordon, but I think the money was pretty rich. Uh, and I, and I don't support the idea of giving him that kind of money going forward. Not to, again, I don't have any problem with him personally going out to get that money, but I think it's a poor allocation of resources, especially if the Broncos are going to trade for Aaron Rodgers and have limited cap space. You can't afford to pay $9 million to a running back when you're going to split the duties with a guy you traded up to draft. Like it just doesn't make sense. Uh, but because of that, that that is what. That's probably my biggest thing with Melvin Gordon coming back. He's this front office traded for traded up for a guy. Yep. That, that, that they're probably wanting to go. Okay, well, we hope it was a worthwhile investment. Well, that's, one, that's honestly one of my bigger questions about the idea with Hackett is that Hackett and the fit is definitely a big question for a guy you traded up to draft. So it, it just, I do have questions about they're that. Definitely. They're definitely hoping that this new staff improves it. And, like, there were some flashes of it. Like, Javante Williams, I think the most cited play of ever with Javante Williams is that outside zone run against Dallas. Yes. 
right? That everybody talks about. But like, if, if there's there was a little bit, little bit of improvement there as the season went on, and I just think that like you learn that naturally when you're with a guy like Melvin Gordon, because keep in mind Melvin Gordon has been playing in the NFL longer than Javante Williams has been playing running back. Period. Yes. So I think part of the plan with Hackett and part of the idea with Hackett is I'll have a coach who can bring that out of him and can develop that because he's, I don't know if it's, it's like, it's not a case of Javante Williams has played running back forever and still sucks at it. I've seen several running backs like that, right? Najee Harris had vision questions and has been playing running back forever. But Javante Williams is just inexperienced. He's only been playing running back four years. Period. He started his senior year of high school and then three years at North Carolina. And North Carolina didn't exactly have the best coaches. Well, that, so, and, I, and I want to also mention the fact that Javante Williams' propensity for like bouncing against, like bouncing away from the grain, given the talent that he had in front of him at UNC, it's not surprising that that became like a habit because he couldn't really trust his offensive line to open the lane that they were supposed to open either. And I'm not trying to make an excuse for him, but I just think Akers. Yeah. That was part of Akers' issue, especially. And and it, it's grown with Cam Akers. Like this this playoff run with the Rams, going back to that a little bit, like he's looked a little better at it than he was last year. Like I thought last year he was just like running right into guys all the time. And it was just not that good of a processor, but with coaching and like Javante Williams. I don't I don't want to see fingers crossed they only keep for three years more, but like like that's the hope with with, with running backs is if he and if he is that kind of guy in two, three, four years where you're like, okay, he's one of the best ones, we need to keep him. And metrically speaking, he sure looks like one of them. I mean, you look at a lot of his advanced stats, you look at rushing yards over expectation, broken tackle rates. I mean, heck, even he was even making plays as a receiver when they did throw the ball to him. Uh, I mean, I believe I think he was. I think he like crossed up Patrick Queen in coverage, and everybody was like, "Holy crap!" I mean, Patrick Queen isn't exactly you know Levante David out here in coverage, but but like it's still like he's he's a no he's a good enough playmaker that if that improves, you're looking two or three years down the line, you can go a the trade up was justified for him. And B, he's a he's a running back that changes the numbers for you offensively, changes the game for you, and you need to pay him accordingly. But we don't know that right now. We don't. We just don't know. Assuming, let's assume that Melvin Gordon doesn't come back. Who, if the Broncos do go out in free agency and look for a running back, who are guys that like to you really jump out as potential fits? Well, I think I I definitely think if if they want to go like super cheap. I think Kevin Coleman makes a fair amount of sense. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. I'm going to have to pull up. Raheem Mostert is a free agent, but he's probably going to cost a little bit more than they want to pay. And I don't know if you can really trust his health. Um, Philip Lindsay, I doubt they go for a uh, a reunion there with Philip Lindsay. Um, I'm just trying to think of like outside zone. Duke Johnson is a free agent. Um, who else is on the Adrian Peterson, if you want to go for that. I mean, hell, why not? Hey, I mean, he had a lot of success in uh, a wide zone running scheme in Minnesota like 100 yeah. years ago. I mean, 
My dog didn't like that. Sorry, sorry guys, if you guys heard that. Apparently, my dog oh, doesn't like the, um, the Adrian Peterson slander. I, I'm, I'm just trying to think. I think Wayne Gallman is a free agent too, and he and he looked decent in with the Giants. What is this draft? Because um, uh, again, I have done very very little work on running backs uh, beyond this draft. Just, looks phenomenal. I know James Cook. I, I, um, and after the whole thing with Pat Sertan, and the fact that they they drafted Pat Sertan after not talking to him. I keep thinking James Cook also makes sense in a similar regard of Peyton was the assistant GM when they drafted Delvin Cook. They clearly have like, he's going to have done background work on James Cook, whether he talks to him or not. Um, And James Cook is also very, very speedy, has the acceleration, has the long speed, has like the skill set to be a complimentary running back. So like he's one player of this class that I have kind of paid attention to because I watched Georgia. Who else? Um, I like uh, Hassan Haskins from Michigan, but I don't know if he's necessarily fit. Michigan's running game was kind of a pretty versatile. Um, so I'd have to like go back and really study him. But is there anybody else who really catches your eye? Yeah. So I definitely think, obviously, like you said, James Cook is, is that guy. Um, but for me, another one that stands out is uh, Bam Knight or Zonovan, Zonovan Knight from NC State. Um, just phenomenal vision, just an excellent, just a really he's a, decisive. He's a returner runner. too, right? Talked about his, yeah, yeah, he did. 16 returns for 550 yards and two touchdowns on kick returns. That's pretty good. This year. Pretty, pretty so good. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty damn good for, for, <laughs> a, for a running back. That's what I'll, I'll say that. Um, and there's a few others. I'm trying to think of like day three guys. That fit in outside zone. I think Pierre Strong is a fat ass. Kennedy Brooks is such a smart. Like Kennedy Brooks is to me. I think he'll be like a James Robinson, like not necessarily like a superstar elite runner, but he surprises everybody. Yeah, he's going to go like undrafted, sort of like five, six, seventh round. But it wins with that like vision, contact balance, like. Good decisiveness as a runner and just as an awesome playmaker. I, I love Kennedy Brooks, and I, obviously I'm a new guy. I'd say that. I think Brian Robinson kind of fits no matter where. Uh, I think Rashad White out of Arizona State is a really, really nifty playmaker. Uh, re- uh, receiving, running, he does everything. But Tyler Batty out of Missouri would probably be the other guy, like not named James Cook, that stands out. Just he he almost reminds me a little bit of what Tariq Cohen was coming out of college. Um, that kind of like human joystick. It's like he bounces around and everything, but he's got he, I think he's got better vision than Cohen did, and I think he's got better contact balance. I think that kind of playmaker opposite of Javante Williams would be a really nifty investment, um, just because like the offense. I to me, my personal like offensive philosophy is more of like. If you can, no matter how you line up, if you can stress the defense out because you have weapons, it doesn't matter how you line up. And if if they try to copy some of Shanahan stuff, those two back looks he loves. Yeah. And 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 if they keep Melvin Gordon, then you know they, they'll obviously have that. But if they're not, I think if you add another playmaker like that, that adds in that extra dynamic of being able to line up out wide and catch balls as a receiver or come out of the backfield as a receiver and really stress the defense deep with the speed. I think that would be an excellent 
I almost, I if I say like thunder and lightning, that sounds dorky, but like that, that's what I mean. It's like you got Javante Williams thundering down underneath and slicing underneath with Tyler Batty or James Cook. I, I think James Cook with Nathaniel Hackett is just like chef's kiss, just awesome. I have been very attached to the idea of James Cook coming to Denver because I, I also know who his brother is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's let's wrap up with quarterbacks just because I think that's kind of a good. Well, like I like as we're going through this, I, I just realized that we haven't talked about quarterbacks outside of Aaron Rodgers and Drew Locke. Uh, and I think that we need to. Um, I, and again, I think you know where I land on this quarterback. I I know where you land on this quarterback class. Uh, I personally, if the Broncos do not trade for Aaron Rodgers, I would prefer they just sign. I don't even care who a free agent and just wait. Um, I don't think any of these, um, the athletics Dane Brugler came out and said, yes, Tuesday, again, Tuesday that he does. He has doubts that any member of this quarterback class will ever be a top 15 starter in the NFL. Uh, I know like that is notable. Um, I know that basically dating back to last year, this quarterback class has been considered probably the weakest quarterback class since 2013. Um, people who are just desperate for quarterbacks will point to 2017 and say, Oh, well, no one liked that class. It's completely different in terms of Pat Mahomes. Who didn't like that class? Like, shut up. If you didn't like that class, then you're just outing yourself as an idiot. That's all I got to say. Like, yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and like, I, like, I want to say. I, I was in Korea during the 2017 draft. Um, I actually, this is a whole story, so I don't want to bog it down. After the Broncos won the Super Bowl, um, that was the year I finished my bachelor's degree. At that point, I had an opportunity to travel and go see the world. And it was kind of almost like Broncos won a Super Bowl. They're basically committing to suck um, because they have Paston Lynch, who I did not believe in, uh, and Trevor Simeon, who was a seventh round pick. And so it was like, I'm going overseas. I, I watched the Broncos as a fan and I kept up with them, but I did not study those two drafts like really closely until I came back. Uh, so like I was not really tied into that quarterback class. I knew the Broncos weren't going to take one. They just burned a pick on Lynch. Uh, but I don't think they're comparable. Like when you look back at them as prospects, Mahomes played a lot and he looked good. He just turned over the ball a lot. Um, Deshaun Watson won a national title and then he looked pretty damn good. Mitch Trubisky yeah, looked like a train wreck if, and he was a train wreck. Yeah. Like, like if Deshaun Watson wasn't a total creep, we'd be sitting here going like Deshaun last year. I thought Deshaun Watson was the second best quarterback in the NFL last year. I also like on that, on that, on that four and 12 terrible Houston Texans team. I agree. And, and again, li- like listeners will listeners from la- like that. Remember last year will remember that I said at one point before the 22 allegations of sexual misconduct came out, I basically said, whatever it takes, the Broncos should try and trade for Deshaun Watson. Obviously those allegations came out. There has been no resolution. Yeah. The deposition. It, the, it the, happened. The some dep- of them have happened. Yeah. Some of them have, but the, the whole thing has not concluded yet. It's supposed to wrap yeah. up basically after the Super Bowl. It is worth noting that the Broncos basically remained interested throughout that process. Um, at the trade deadline, their names came up back before the season started. That their, their names were in talks. Joe Ellis did poo poo it. Um, I think we have to, I think Aaron Rodgers is a like plan a B and C right now, but 
But I think we have to kind of keep in mind that like there is a possibility it happens. I'm not saying I'm rooting for it, but I just think like it is worth noting. But yeah. barring but barring that, Kirk Cousins doesn't look like he's leaving Minnesota. Um, at this point, Kevin O'Connell no. sounds like he wants him. Josh McDaniels is going to hitch his wagon to Derek Carr at least this year. The good, yeah, but but at, at that to kind of play off, I don't mean to cut you off. I'm no, sorry, but you're he he'll attach himself to Derek Carr. Obviously, he's all, he that was part of his sell was with Derek Carr, but that leaves Marcus Mariota in free agency again. If they're just going like Rogers has just been like screw you guys, I like I don't want to play for you or whatever, and then. Uh, which they'll end up getting a lot of backlash because that's the reason everybody perceives they hired all the Packers coaches was for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but like, if and like they can't get say like Russell Wilson or whatever, I don't think Russell Wilson is going to get traded. Uh, and, and, I don't and, think he like, is either. But but if he but if he is, yeah, the Giants make more sense to me than the Broncos do. Well, the big thing with Russ, the, I agree because the big thing with everything we're hearing out of Seattle is that. Ian Rappaport has said this a couple times that if they're going to move him and it doesn't sound like they want to, Pete Carroll is 70. He said that in both his talks with Pat McAfee, he does not want to go into a QB purgatory type of situation. If he's trading Russell Wilson, he has to get something back that they can at least try and make work. They're not going to make a deal for Drew Locke. I'm sorry, guys. If you believe that that's going to happen, I have a lot of ice I can sell you. You can move to the North Pole and build an igloo. Like it's it's that kind of situation. Yeah. They're not making a deal with the Broncos for Russell Wilson unless Russell Wilson basically goes nuclear and forces his way to Denver, and he's not going to do it. No, and I, I think that, I think the Giants make a ton more sense because of Joe Sheen, because of Mike Kafka and Brian Dabble. Like, if he's going to go anywhere, he's going to go where like two of the best offensive minds, at least. Yeah. We'll we'll see with Kafka. But like two two of the best offensive minds recently, Brian Dabble, look what he did with Josh Allen. He's gonna go, wow, okay, I think I'd rather probably play for that than and uh, virtually an unknown because Hackett is going to be running a new scheme. Like I, that that's one thing with Hackett is it's going to be a totally new scheme for him that he has spent the last three years learning. He's not running what he did in Jacksonville. He's it, maybe some underlying concepts like. He loved the crossing routes. He'll probably keep some of those because Aaron Rodgers was deadly on those crossing routes. And so is Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy just sliced up people on crossing routes. Not that they would ever hit him on them, but they, but he, like that, that, that would probably be in the playbook. Right. Right. And so like I just think it, it's it's going to be an unknown. And I almost honestly, like, it's the relationship with Rodgers. That's the biggest selling point with Hackett. But going back to another court, the thing with Deshaun Watson, on the other hand, is that you won't ever really know if he was or wasn't guilty. Like, if he if he was found guilty, you're like, oh, okay, wow, they actually did it. Like, good well, for thing, that. The thing is, if he if he's found guilty, he's probably not playing football again anytime soon, if ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah if ever. Um, and then if he's not found guilty, you're kind of like. I I don't know about about it because because the NFL has been kind of Miami was throwing money. They had a deposition the other day where one of the witnesses was just like, "I plead the fifth, I plead the fifth, I plead the fifth. Like she never answered anything about Watson. 
and, and that was like, oh, there's there's something going on. And, fishy. and and I and I and I'm I want to cut in with this just because NFL teams are still showing interest in Deshaun Watson with the idea that that is probably going to be what the outcome is. Is that he is at least cleared enough of the charges that he can resume his playing career. And again, I'm not trying to say, you know, rooting one way or the other or anything. I, again, I got a lot of hate last year after all this started to come out. So I just, I got to clear this up. Those emails were ugly and I, I really don't want to deal with that again. Um, but NFL teams watched what happened with Ben Roethlisberger and they are willing to gamble on a top 10 quarterback. Regardless, they don't give a shit because yeah. if you can play at some point, people will kind of overlook all the other stuff because you can play football. And that's kind of the idea with Deshaun Watson that a lot of teams, and again, the Broncos were part of this too. They were in these talks. So I think we have to kind of keep in mind that that is a possibility. I don't think it's likely, especially now that Hackett's here. Uh, but again, let's yeah. say Aaron Rodgers doesn't Hackett, happen. Yeah. It's probably Watson would be like it, plan E, plan F. But, but if Aaron Rodgers doesn't happen, it's looking like if they go to the veteran market and they trade, it's Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't think I don't want that to happen. I, I could see that oh. happening. I don't want it to happen. But you look at free agency. You mentioned already Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota actually was the starting quarterback in Matt LaFleur's offense in 2019. Again, it was a long time ago at this 2018, point. 2018, I think. 2018. Yep, 2018. You're right. God, yeah, yeah I'm getting old. I'm getting it's, old. It's all right. It's all right. But 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 he was he was the starting quarterback in that offense. Uh, before Matt LaFleur ended up getting the head coaching job. Teddy Bridgewater was in the Vikings offense. That is parts of this. Um, again, it's, it's far enough away that like, I don't think that's going to, I also don't think Peyton's going to resign Teddy Bridgewater just because of the way the fan base is going to react to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I just, I don't see I, it I happening. Cause I think Payne, like... Payne is very, very sensitive to, perception it seems like it and again this is you know my observation i don't think they're going to sign teddy bridgewater because teddy bridgewater would be a pr nightmare um i if, if they don't sign Mariota or teddy Jameis. the problem with Jameis is he can't even work out till like may yep medically he can't even work out so like that's, acl yeah i don't think he'll leave the saints i just i can't see i can't see dennis allen and whoever the offensive coordinator is, um, they brought in Doug Marone. He's our new O line coach, by the way. Um, but like, if they don't bring, I mean, you've got like Ryan Fitzpatrick, yep, Jacoby Brissett, and that's listen. But hear me out here. Hear me out here. You tell me, Mitch Trubisky. A, I'm turning. I'm hanging up. If you if you tell me, Mitch Trubisky, as a potential as a potential backup option, Nick Mullins. Oh man, Drew Locke and Nick Mullins. Can you imagine how <laughs> miserable next year is going to be if it's Nick Mullins and Drew Locke? I said as a potential backup. Option, no, I know, I know. I, yeah, I, it, I'll take that. If, it, if, it, if it's because if it's Mitch Trubisky, I mean, people are going to talk themselves into Mitch Trubisky if that's what happens. Dude, I, yeah, I, honestly, truthfully, I would just like say screw it, and I would I would sign for freaking Rosen or Haskins before I did for Trubisky or. I think keep rolling with lock like, holy crap. I feel like if it's not Aaron Rodgers, they are going to either trade for Jimmy G or do a desperation trade for like Kenny Pickett or not desperation trade, but they're going to, they're going to go out and take 
Kenny Pickett at nine. And we're going to Carson you, Strong. And you and I, I are going to. I, I don't think Carson Strong makes a pass. I think you can get. I, I, don't think Pitt, I don't think Pickett makes a pass six with Carolina. It doesn't sound like. I don't he's either. Leave Carolina. And I'll be honest, I'm okay with that because Kenny Pickett is literally a more mobile Teddy Bridgewater. He he is very mid. Very. But like, he's a more mobile version of like current Teddy Bridgewater because Teddy Bridgewater at Louisville could Agreed. Be boogie a little bit. But I, I, say, like I say it like that, though. It's like he's a little bit faster than Teddy Bridgewater is currently. But I say that because fan, like Bronco listeners recognize Teddy Bridgewater for what he was last year. Kenny Pickett, if the Broncos go out and draft Kenny Pickett, that is what they're getting, is they're getting a, a more mobile version of what we saw at quarterback last season um, with a lot of the same issues. Like, his arm strength is below pretty, average. Pretty good. It, it's, it's below the NFL it average. Looked- um, it looked ball. bad at senior it looked His hands, I know that this is going to be a huge discussion point. I'm not necessarily super concerned about the hands, except for the fact he's a historical outlier. Like, uh, yeah. reportedly, reportedly his hands measure eight and a quarter inches. The NFL baseline, I brought this up on the episode, uh, last week's episode, but the NFL uh, baseline that you have to reach or like expected to reach is nine. It's like nine. It is nine, yeah. And, and his that's ability, like low. That's like low of the low. Of the that's low. the zeroth percentile. Yeah, that's like when yeah. I was doing the scouting academy. That is considered like if a guy doesn't reach that, it's a alar- it's alarm bells. Kenny Pickett's going to be yeah. below that. Um, that's why he didn't measure his hands at the Senior Bowl. Significant. Yeah. Yeah. He um, was like, oh, I have double jointed thumbs. Like Kenny Pickett is the guy you draft <laughs> if you're hoping to get a quarterback from this class who can play very quickly. Um, which is why I think the Broncos may be interested. Uh, they also, he fits the kind of mold of the quarterbacks that the Vikings drafted while, Ken, uh, George Payton was there. I know he was not the assistant GM when they drafted Christian Ponder, but Kenny Pickett is right in that same kind of mold of like kind of a low upside, probably won't embarrass you type option. Um, yeah. Malik Willis is the guy that the Steelers basically oh, all report, all reports are basically the Steelers are, are enamored, uh, and again, you yeah, know, everyone you lies. See, see what Roethlisberger did this year? Like, they're probably like, give me as far away from Roethlisberger well, I mean, as possible. If you're the Steeler, if you're the Steelers and you're playing in the division with Lamar Jackson, you can see Malik Willis and say, that's our Lamar Jackson. Like, fair or not, I think that you can convince yourself. You, you can see the raw tools with Malik Willis and tell yourself, like, this is Michael Vick in two years. Like, good, bad, or otherwise. Like, you know what I mean? But I, I can see why people do that. I also see, like, when I've watched Malik Willis and I've watched a decent bit of him, he has all the same issues that Drew Locke has in terms of he is a see it, throw it passer, does not throw with anticipation. Like, he squeeze, like he throws balls low and he squeezes it in. He has a really strong arm, so he can. But that's going to be an issue in the league. Like, he's going to have to adjust to that. He, he, he can do that when he's playing the CUSA. Thank but... you. Exactly. Yeah. Um. He yeah. He is not comfortable in the pocket reliably like he will bail out of the pocket to make things happen with his legs and again he has the legs to do it but it is in the the league that's going to be harder uh his mechanics with his lower body consistently inconsistent with his lower body mechanics which is why his ball placement is it's atrocious it's it's bad and again yeah i of all the quarterbacks in this class if you have to sell me one and i have to you know grin and bear one of them I like Malik Willis just because I can at least believe maybe in three years he'll be good. Um, but that's yeah. he's not the quarterback you take in this class if you are saying we're gonna draft a guy in this class and if he sucks, we're taking a guy next year. Because Malik Willis is probably not gonna be good this year if he plays at all. 
Yeah, no, Malik Wills needs to go to, like, oh, God, I don't even know. Like, he can sit behind Mason Rudolph for a year. I mean, yeah, if you're sitting there, like. He would be I great in Atlanta. Like, I think Atlanta with yeah, Matt maybe. Ryan. Somebody like that. Maybe, yeah. Uh, Indianapolis with yeah. uh, Carson Wentz. Again, I don't think Frank Reich is going to take Malik Willis. But, no. but like, he would make sense in a situation where you have an established guy who is already there. And barring injury, that guy is the starter. Yeah, like, he, he I, needs to trade land with 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 Jalen or with Malik Willis. I, I said I almost said Jalen Hurts because that's what he reminds me of. He's like he's like all the bad of Jalen Hurts, except except he's the not as accurate as Jalen. Yeah, he's not as accurate as Jalen Hurts. Less like, accurate, better arm strength is how I would describe it. Yeah, um, and Jalen Hurts has like at least shown improvement every year of his career. Malik Willis has just been a straight dumpster fire for three years. Like, I, I, I mean, listen, this is a man who lost a job to both freaking Knicks. Like, hey, I mean, hey, in some corners, in some corners, Bo Nix was going to be a first-round quarterback this year. Oh, that's true, Jordan, uh, Jordan Palmer. That's right. Yeah. He's number one overall pick this year, yeah. Um, outside, like, outside of Pickett and Willis, though, who, who of these quarterbacks, like, Gun to your head, you have to take one at nine, or gun to your head, you have to take one in the first round this year because the Broncos' options are Drew Locke or Nick Bullins. Who are you hitching your wagon to if you're Nathaniel Hackett? Howell and Strong. Yeah? Howell and Strong. I need to go back over Howell. I I, I did not like his 2020 at all. Like, I I thought he was like trash. His 2021, like, at least... At least his 2021, and then it met the senior bowl. There were reps where, like, his eyes were going to the right spot, right? And, like, he's got the arm strength. I mean, just having your eyes in the right spot is already, like, a clear outlier in this quarterback class, by the way. Um, but, like, <laughs> but like the fact that he's he can make reads and progressions well and has the arm strength and the athleticism to make something happen, like – at least there's something there. Carson Strong, I think, does the most pre-snap out of any of these quarterbacks. I think he's the smartest. And not necessarily the smartest, but I think he's the one that throws the best with timing. And for I think for for if you're running a Shanahan-esque offense, I think the timing aspect of it is pretty important. Um, it, it's just the knee with Carson Strong, right? That's the big, that's the big question. But, like, he took the knee brace off. And so you're kind of like, okay, maybe something – and. By all reports, nothing ever came out at the Senior Bowl, but the Combine is still coming up. So maybe we'll we'll, we'll definitely find out then. To me, the big question because I, I try and I try and ignore the knee for now, just because there's no way you know we won't know until we know. The big question I have with Strong, and I have not watched enough of him yet. Like I need to watch more. The mobility. Uh, I, he's a pocket passer. I don't have a problem with pocket passers. I had Mac Jones as the 17th player on my board last year, but the big risk with Mac Jones, and it's the same risk for me with Carson strong is outside of Matt Ryan, who is the last like highly drafted pocket yeah. passer to really hit. Uh, and again, Mac yeah. Jones is looking like he's going to be the next, you know, again, I get it. Like you're doing the handshake for listeners, but I think Mac Jones is a quarterback. You can, ceiling, I think quarterback you can win with. 
I don't think he's ever going to be a quarterback you win because of. Yeah. But definitely. if you're taking him as far down the draft as the Patriots took him, you get a quarterback for 10 years you can win with. Like, I think that's a good pick. Uh, and I think Carson Strong. I think Strong can move a little bit. Like, he can move. He can move more. <laughs> He, he can That's move better it's, than Mac Jones, but I have the same issues in terms of like playing out a structure for him is a big obstacle. Like that is the big question yeah. with him is how is he going to look yeah. against NFL speed it, when he's knocked off and platform? Then, and like how will, and how will you already, you don't know like NFL speed, but like you, there, there's at least enough plays off of script. Yes. Where like, it, honestly, truthfully, like I'm going to say this completely on air. Spencer Rattler probably should have just declared he probably would have like, still been a top 100 pick this year because he, he probably would have still been the first quarterback off the board. The rest of his like, quarterback no classes. Spencer, Spencer Rattler would have gone off the board first. Like, somebody would have taken a swing on him just with the idea that like, maybe we can fix him. Yeah. Especially because, especially with the idea that his coach checked out in September, like no wonder, no wonder he, he you know, he never, the issues never got corrected because his coach didn't care. Right. So like that to me, this is my problem. Like another guy that's come up a lot is Matt Corral, right? And Matt Corral's 2020 was undeniably better than his 2021. Um, like his 2021 film is just bad. I like he does not throw digs. A lot of his production is is like schemed for. It's RPOs. It's a lot of RPOs and it's yeah. a lot of screens. And that's one of those things that. And again, we are getting really long. So I pause. like, again, at any point, if you need to go, let me know. Cause I'm, I, I can talk with you about football forever. Uh, mm. But, but like, my thing is like with Matt Corral, Lane Kiffin's offense makes it easy for you to put up good numbers. And that's one of those things that like evaluators, like those, like as we, you know, get into draft season, everyone's debating all this stuff. You can look at the numbers and argue these quarterbacks one way or the other, but like, you got to watch them because like, they're not playing in the same offenses as each other. Um, I know uh, Ted, Ted uh, Tim Jenkins has mentioned that Malik Willis's offense at Liberty was like not NFL at all. Like it's very, and it is like you watch it. Matt Corral has the same issue. Um, it's a lot of RPOs. It's a lot of manufactured touches. So like his completion numbers are going to be very good because his job has been easy. That's not going to happen yeah. in the NFL. Yeah. And, and like, the only the argument that I've really seen for Matt Corral is that like his numbers dipped, like exponentially dipped um, after he got hurt against Tennessee. It, it was like a lower leg injury, but that doesn't explain like him misreading concepts. You know, like yep. a leg injury would explain like he missed a throw, right? Or like like or, he or threw it and it didn't. And it didn't. Yeah, yeah, or something like that. Or like his mechanics were clearly bothered, but it's like mentally he missed. And that that was like you can't blame that on a lower leg injury. You can't you can't kind of pass that off. Um, like I just this quarterback class, man, I'm just like, if they don't take a quarterback early, I'm like, just give me Caleb LB in like round three and then punt. Like, I don't care about the rest. Like well, my my whole thing is if, if, they, if they go into this draft with all five of the picks in the top 100 because, you know, Aaron Rodgers didn't happen and they need a quarterback, if, they, if they're if they doing this, and again, I'm, I really hope they don't, I want them to take whoever the actual best player is at nine, whether it's who I agree. I, I hope it's a Jabo, just because I love a Jabo. But then a Jabo or a tackle or somebody there, 
and then take whatever quarterback you like the best with your second round pick and give him a shot for a year. Um, it won't be yeah. Willis at that point because Willis is going to be a first round talent at this point. Somebody's going to take a gamble, but like if Carson's going to, but as strong as yeah. they're in the second, I, I don't hate it. If the or medicals Howell. Are, yeah. or Howell, I, I don't, I, I have to watch more Howell. I really like when you say Howell, like there's a part of me that like, there's like a visceral like reaction just like, because yeah. like, like, like the Wake Forest game from 2020 was so fucking bad. Like they won that game against Wake Forest because they stopped letting Sam Howell throw. Yeah. I mean, like, but like, if, if the Broncos thought process is, is, is like to take a guy at nine and then package a couple picks to move up to like 31 or 32, you know, for, to get like, again, how strong corral, whoever the hell they take. I don't care. Like it, it's whatever it, to me. Cause it's like, you're at least admitting that you are going to pony up the resources to try and see if this guy can play. And that you clearly believed enough in him that you were okay, okay, okaying a trade <laughs> to move up and, and go get him. And so like, you're admitting that, okay, you know what, we're going to, this is a guy that we're going to, that we see can fit and we're going to try and make it work. I'm okay with taking a shot on a quarterback because I don't have one right now. I'm not okay with them just outright taking one at nine because I don't think there's one worth it at nine. I if they trade down from nine, if Pittsburgh wants to come up from Malik Willis, by God, let him. If you can get that 2023 first from Pittsburgh, go back to 20 and take a quarterback. Sure, go for it. Why not? I don't care. Right. One of, one of my big issues with the idea of taking a quarterback at nine in this class is a this quarterback this class in general is not as strong as last year's. Um. That's not just me saying it. That is uh, Daniel Jeremiah saying it. That is Dan Brugler saying it. That is Lance Zerline. Like a lot of people have come out at this point. Trevor Sikama has come out and said it. There are probably eight or nine guys from last year's class that would go ahead of this, anybody in this class. Um, so for, for the Broncos to take a quarterback at nine in this class after passing on the quarterbacks in last year's class, and, and I get all the arguments for Sertan. Like that's not a knock on Sertan. But taking a quarterback at nine in this class after passing on vastly superior prospects last year, it 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 hints to me that Peyton is desperate. And like I don't like that. Um it, it kind of brings it's, me back to the Juwan, desperation, desperation is the killer of, of GMs. It brings me back to the Juwan James thing. Like, I, I don't have enough trust that I'm gonna say, yes, taking taking Kenny freaking Pickett at nine is a good idea. Like, I think it's a terrible idea. And I don't think anything you say between now and the draft is going to convince me that that is a smart idea when there's just, there's better prospects that are going to be on the board there. Yeah. I, I mean, like, honestly, truthfully, me personally, I, I would, if they don't get Rodgers, I wouldn't even bother with the quarterback this year. Like, I, I, I see, it's like, if there is one, like Caleb will be in the second or third round. That's it. That's it. I, like, e- like even even the depth of this quarterback class stinks. This okay. quarterback class is awful. Like it's it is it's, literally it is literally a bunch so of bad. names that everyone is convincing themselves because there's nothing else to do. And we continue and to now, talk. I, about, I will say, and we talk about quarterbacks. Like that's what we do. Like yeah. in draft, and like yeah. everybody, because you can imagine what the guy is going to be, and a lot of people let what they imagine the guy can become to influence what they believe. 
what they believe he is. Uh, yeah. and, and I, 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 there's a part of that that is true. Like you have to look at a prospect and try and like project where he's going to be. But I also think you have to try and be realistic about it and yeah. where you're at with Howell. I could see Howell being a fit in this Broncos offense. I think he would be a low end, like knowing what I know based on what I have seen of his 2021 and then having studied his 2020 twice over, I think long-term best case scenario, he is like the 20th best quarterback. And that's an ideal situation. I think he's the guy that you, you can trot out there and he's your Kirk cousins, but God help you if you pay him. Yeah. Like, like to me, I, I thought the low end top was kind of like a Derek Carr, a style of Derek Carr like that. Um, not, not, that's not the low end comp, but like, that's like what he can be. Right. Where do you land on Desmond oh. Ritter before I let you go? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I, I, I think, I think Ritter's just garbage. <laughs> like I, I've seen so many people of like this group think mine that like Desmond Ritter is like automatically QB one. And I'm like, I just don't see it. I don't see it with Desmond Ritter. Like, I, I don't think he's got a strong enough arm that separates him from anything. I don't think he particularly processes well enough over any of the other guys. Um, I don't think he's, his accuracy is just like sporadic at best. Um, I just, I really, 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 really just kind of don't vibe with Desmond Ritter. Like there's nothing on his tape that really screams, oh yeah, this is, this is a guy that can even compete for QB1 to me. The one thing I like about him that like kind of stands out in this class is that he did make notable improvements from last year to this year. But I do agree that all the quiet, like again, every single quarterback in this class, I can talk myself out of really easily. The down to down consistency is really troubling with him. I do think that his arm is okay. I think it's solid. Like it's right around NFL average. I think it's fine. I think he is an okay athlete probably like a four six ish guy. Uh, but he's a little bit light. And again, like the, the, the mechanics are going to need to improve and consistently improve, uh, for him to have a chance. And Josh Allen is the guy everyone holds up, but most quarterbacks do not become more accurate in the NFL. Yeah. And and that, that to me is what, like, I, I just can't, like so many, so many quarterbacks, like with this, with this class, it's like, think of all the good they can do. Like I think Matt Miller came out and said that during the Super Bowl. It's like, think of all the good they can do. Think of that. Do you, do you apply that to like your relationships in real life? Like, do you use that to justify an ex? Like, think, think of all the good times you had. Don't mind that they cheated on you. Just, just if you only look at what the good and like what they can be, your ex seems fine. What's just- What's so interesting to me about that approach though, is have we ever done that at quarterback in previous years? We don't like usually what ends up happening in draft and, you know, come draft season is we pick the quarterbacks to death. Like we, we convince ourselves they're all terrible when yeah. they actually like, Justin like Joe, Field, Joe, no, Burrow, Justin, Joe Burrow doesn't have Joe, Joe Burrow doesn't have an arm, right? Justin Herbert, notably notable Seth Galina, the Justin Herbert guy. Uh, he can't play quarterback in the NFL. Trey Lance is a one-year starter. Justin Fields can't process. Uh, Zach Wilson is a one-year wonder. 
but, but, Zach Wilson. That's but, it. Yeah. But 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 we do but we do that every year, and then all of a sudden this class comes out, and we have a lot of like prominent draft people. And again, I, I'm keeping track of the guys who have come out and like really actually been really critical because those guys are being honest. Like Trevor Sikama yeah. is not bullshitting you when he says that this quarter like this class is weaker than last year. Dane Brugler, Dane Brugler, yeah. like Dane Brugler is yeah, the, even, the draft guy that I put the most stock into, like generally. And he has come out yeah. multiple times and, and really poo pooed this class in general. Even, so, like, even when Seth Galina kind of came out and was like, yep. there are no QB ones in this draft. There's all QB there threes. And which is funny because yeah, the Broncos like, Broncos country last year was completely out on the 2021 class because they did not want the Broncos to draft the fourth best quarterback. So when Seth Galina said everybody in this class is QB three, I'm like, oh, well, the Broncos can't draft a guy because they won't draft a QB four, right? Yeah, yeah, like that. That's what like, I, I put out a tweet. I was like, none of these quarterbacks are QB one. Need RBs because like nothing matters. Sure. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, like it's. I just hate the way that a lot of stuff is framed with this class. Like, just be honest. You do not have to spend with this class. You do not have to spend for this class. And there are no, there are zero. Absolutely zero compelling arguments you can make to justify ending up with Malik Willis or Desmond Ritter or Kenny Pickett or Sam Howell, Matt Corral, Carson Strong, whoever the heck you want to name over Justin Fields or even Mac Jones. There's not, there's not absolutely. Cause like Justin Fields was like one of the best quarterback prospects in recent memory. Yes. The literally everybody, but some random NFL people and another person. I will mention on the pod, hated fields. It's like, we're like, oh, he can't process, can't do this, can't do that. It's, we just didn't like him because he's vegan. Like, <laughs> like, it would not surprise me if that was NFL stereotype. They're like, oh, we're not going to, we're not going to draft him because he's vegan. Well, you know, the last um, quarterback who was vegan was Colin Kaepernick. So we can't do that again. Oh, yeah. There it is. Boom. Case closed. No, my, my, my whole thing. And again, like, I, we're kind of like on this rant with this, but. My thing with this quarterback class is just that Peyton to this point had a terrific draft last year, taking the best players, like not caring about positional value to, to most extent. And again, I, it drove me crazy. It still kind of bothers me, but like for him to then turn around this year and then reach on a quarterback when it's so obvious that they are most of these quarterbacks. I don't think these quarterbacks are like the top 32 players in this draft. Like I think you could, like it's a positional I like value thing. I don't either. And and it's one of those things where I get the positional value, but if, if Peyton is not worried about positional value and he's just trying to grab the right players, I just, I don't understand the process that would then lead you back to like a Kenny he, Baker or Malik Willis. Because, because he didn't take the quarterback last year, because they didn't get Aaron Rodgers last year. He's in a rock and a hard place where he has to get Aaron Rodgers or he has to figure out, or he has to reach on one of these quarterbacks. Yep. Like, if, because if they go in and they have Mariota or somebody else who's just kind of like a middling free agent, whatever, and they suck, and a new owner's coming in, and you're like, what's the plan for the future? And you're like, uh, I, I don't know. Like, we kind of got, we don't have a quarterback still in my, in my two years. We don't have a quarterback. We don't have any solutions to quarterback. So like, it's like a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of rock in a hard place for Peyton right now. And part of it is because he didn't take a quarterback last year. Like, yes, Sertan is 
excellent, elite. We raved about him earlier today. But I think when you look at at least with if you have a Justin Fields or a Mac Jones, at least there is something there to build around for the future. Because right now the Broncos are stuck in limbo. Yep. And like to me, building sustained for the future is a smarter play. Because like if you go for the Aaron Rodgers approach, you're gonna have to like maneuver so much more than if you are building around a rookie quarterback. And the window's smaller. But but there's yeah, but there's no rookie quarterback contracts that you're willing to take right now. And you've got a new owner coming in who if if it is um oh who's the one Byron, Byron Allen? Byron Allen who came out and was like, I want to honor the legacies of like John Elway and Peyton Manning. You like you've got to have the quarterback to yeah. justify with him. Like you've got to have that. And so like that unless the Broncos are just gonna be like screw, we're going to try to go for the number one pick, which I think the team is too talented to get there. Yeah, like, I, I, I just don't think they can, just off of talent alone, I don't think they can be bad enough to get the number one pick without a trade-up. I don't and think... It's, just, it's, such a, it's such a difficult place because we don't know the future because we're stuck in limbo waiting on a trade that may or may not happen. I don't think George Payton and Nathaniel Hackett survive the new owner if they suck badly enough to get the first overall pick. And I think they know it. Yeah. So, uh, and like that, that's another part of it is desperation. So Green Bay has like all the cards. Like they, they can legitimately upcharge for Aaron Rodgers. At the end of the day, do you think the Broncos trade for Aaron Rodgers this offseason? I do. I, I, I'm going to say it. Like I do. I, I, I think at the end of the day, I, the I am day, optimistic. It, for me, Go it's ahead. not, no, like, like we've been doing this, you know, breathless, like, Oh, Aaron Rodgers said, we'll see at a golf tournament. Oh, Aaron Rodgers bought a house in Tennessee. Like for me at this point, like we have been doing this since last draft. Like I, you know, I've been paying attention to all this for a year now. I'm at a point where it's like, okay, Sarah, Sarah, like it's, I do think, though, that the Broncos have moved all their pieces in place to try and trade for Aaron Rodgers. Unless Aaron Rodgers is committed to going back to Green Bay or he retires, and I do not think he's going to retire, if if Aaron Rodgers basically says, I want to leave Green Bay, I think the Broncos are going to move heaven and earth to acquire him. Right, wrong, or otherwise. Yeah, I, I think I what ends up happening after the trade for Rodgers, I have questions. But but I do think they they are going to give up whatever it takes to acquire him. Yeah, because they've backed into the corner where they need to. They have, and they're at um, a point where I think Peyton knows he needs to have a quarterback to present to a new owner. Yeah, and I, with, I'm with i cautiously optimistic it happens. That's that's my official stance. I, 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 it's one of those I'll believe it when I see it kind of yeah, things. Because that's like, fair. That's last, year, last year, I did not buy Matthew Stafford coming to the Rams until it happened, right? I was like, there's no, nobody is ever going to take Jared Goff's contract, right? Like, it is not, who, A, who's going to take that contract? B, who's going to take Jared freaking goof, right? Like, who's going to take it? And then, lo and behold, it happened. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I, I remember I was in, it was, I think it was Senior Bowl week, and I was on vacation at my, grand, my grandparents' condo in Florida. And I was just, like, running around like, oh, my God, we got Stafford. We got Stafford. I don't know if I was more excited to get rid of Goff or to get Matthew Stafford, but, like, <laughs> a little bit of both. 
but like that that's one of those things was I did not think it was gonna happen until it did. And now you and guys that's now you guys are in the Super Bowl. And that's now we're in the Super Bowl. Hopefully hopefully it happens for Denver, right? Hopefully the same thing happens. Um it'd be nice to cut co- it'd be nice to like actually cover a team going to a Super Bowl, right? Like even if even if I'm not like rooting outright for like I want Denver to win and succeed because it's so much more fun covering a successful team. But I think Unlike other quarterbacks, right? Like Jimmy G or Derek Carr, whoever, some of these other guys could put you in the playoffs. But like Aaron Rodgers is like, if you get enough pieces, he's a guy that's like Super Bowl. Like you can't get to a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. Yep. And so that, that to me is the most important thing is he raises both the ceiling and the floor of this team tremendously. Agreed. Agreed. And so that, if you, it has to happen for Peyton. Like, I, I just think he's – there are way too many moves from getting Hackett to hiring Ben Steele, who I think was caught Rodgers' yeah. first touchdown yep. pass. Oh, was his first touchdown or his uh, first pass? I'm not sure. But I know he's called – I know Rodgers has called him a buddy yep. before, despite him working in Minnesota. So, like, there are moves that they have put in to basically come in and kind of be like, hey, come on, Rodgers. And, and, like, it's not that – Denver is a bad landing spot either. Because to me, even though they, even though Green Bay has Devontae Adams, I think Denver has more weapons. Agreed. And Denver's offensive line is not as good, but they're not Miami or they're not Cincinnati. They're not. You know, and they're like, not Pittsburgh either. Pittsburgh's not Pittsburgh. offensive line. Pittsburgh's because I think again, I, I think at the end of the day, this is going to end up turning into Green Bay looking at what is Pittsburgh offering us. What is Denver offering us? Because I think those are going to be the two teams that offer the most. And I think from Rogers perspective, those are the two teams that are probably most appealing because I do not think green Bay is going to want to deal him in the NFC. I that's again, these are just where I land on it. Like personally having yeah. you know, followed this as long as I have now. And I think Pittsburgh makes a lot of sense. If again, from a win now standpoint, they also have a lot of weapons. They also have really talented defenders, but they have a significantly worse offensive line. And, and a significantly worse coaching staff. I'm just going to say, like, Mike Tomlin is great, but their offensive staff sucks. They're also Matt Canada is awful. old. Like, they're old in a way yeah. that, like, with Rod, and again, with Rodgers, your window is going to be pretty short anyway. But the, the margin for error when you have a lot of old defenders is smaller because injuries happen. Injuries tend to happen more often in football when you guys are north of 30. Yeah. Look at the Steelers' defensive line to it is older. Hayward is older. TJ Watt is not obviously TJ Watt is amazing, but the yeah, linebacker is not the defensive player of the year, by the way. I just want to make that come up. Uh, Miles Garrett was a more deserving edge rusher. I just want to point that out. And if we can put that in exclamation points, if you want to put that in the tweet for this article, you can go for it. But, <laughs> but, but I do think that, like you said though, like in terms of like the relationships, I think the Broncos have positioned themselves to do everything they can to appeal to Rogers at this point, or they're, they're in the process yeah. of doing that yeah. because they're serious like, about with, it. Yeah. And like with the, the AFC to NFC kind of thing, the other downside is for Rogers is it's like, you're sitting there in the NFC. Brady's gone. Yeah. Right. Brady's gone. Who the heck? I mean, you're going to have to deal with like Stafford every now and then maybe trade Lance with Shanahan because Shanahan's a freaking genius. Except for not calling a fourth down run. Thank God for that, because they would have won that game. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but like seriously, like you don't have that monkey on your back. 
Like, but like the other downside of the NFC is it's like, where are you going to go in the NFC? Like Philly? No, is, is Philly, do they really appeal more? Probably not. Although Philly can throw all the picks in the world at them. Yeah. Right. New York. Uh, it's it's like, it's like new, yeah, New York, but they're kind of in a cap hell right now. Um, you got like Carolina. Who wants to play for Matt Rule? I'm sorry. Well, that that Matt, Matt Rule's going to be the first coach fired. Then, if you're Roger, and and again, like I, you I don't want to go to a team that can at least compete. They have tw- they have twenty the million dollars. That many teams. They have twenty million dollars committed to Sam Darnold. So if you're Aaron Rodgers and you want to go to a team in the NFC and you go to Carolina. You're already fighting an uphill battle because your contract is going to eat up, you know, twenty-seven-ish million dollars in cap space, and then your backup is eating up eighteen million dollars in cap space. So it and, and, and Carolina he sucks. Like he's not good. Stinks. Yeah, yeah. Carolina team stinks. The, the thing uh, is, the NFC South is going to be wide open. But but again, the like only I, other I, one that the only one that makes sense because of legacy teams and maybe personnel. But again, they I don't know how they could afford it. It's New Orleans. Yeah. It's the only team. But I, I don't know how they could possibly afford it because they don't have the draft capital and they don't have the money. And that's why Payton retired. I thought Sean Payton, yeah. I thought they were going to make a play for Russell Wilson because it just made so much sense for Russell Wilson to land with Sean Payton. And I think Sean Payton woke up one day, realized there's no way I'm going to be able to trade for Russell Wilson. I am stuck with Hill and Winston. Yeah. And he said, you know what? TV yeah. sounds good. Yeah, I, yeah. Until I can, until I can, you know, Dallas, Dallas Fires, job. McCarthy, and I, yeah. yeah, yeah, basically. Um, but like, I also think a team that maybe, maybe makes a little bit of sense is Washington. But again, like, who, who, what is the appeal with Washington right now? Because Ron Rivera could be fired. I mean, right? There's all sorts of scandal going around about the team right now. Can you imagine? Aaron You've got Rogers, one weapon in Terry McLaurin. Can you imagine Aaron Rodgers playing for the Commies? Yeah, that would be hilarious. That, that I didn't even think about it. <laughs> oh, that'd be so good. The memes, the memes would just be next level. Just chef's kiss, just chef's kiss, right? Honestly, like, like if he doesn't, if he doesn't land in Denver, I guess that's what I'm rooting for, just from the from the entertainment standpoint. Just for, just for good. hilarity. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, but like, see, but like, we've seen teams like when when Indianapolis traded Marshall Falk to the Rams. They took a heavy discount because the Rams were in the NFC and the Colts were in the AFC. Yep. So, so like, it's just we, like we don't want to play him. Like, he doesn't want to be here. We don't want to play him. Well, it's a so it just send him to the other conference. It's it's another it's an optics thing though. Like, if you if you send him to the yeah. NFC, he is directly responsible for preventing you from making a Super Bowl. If that ha- and again that you know assumes a lot, but but let's say the Green Bay Packers are good after Rodgers. And all of a sudden, they run into Rodgers in the in the NFC in the in the wild card round, and he's the one that sends you home. Like fan, yeah, fans yeah. are gonna be pissed. Yeah, but on the other hand, like we'd get Rodgers versus Mahomes twice a freaking year. Yeah, and Rodgers versus Herbert twice a year, which would be just freaking awesome. Yeah, right. From a neutral fan standpoint, like, I I don't see how it, like the the Pittsburgh Steelers Rodgers. Uh, if Rodgers is trying to get to the Super Bowl. I think the AFC North makes more sense um, in terms of like, you know, they yeah. look like an easier road, but in terms of like from a fan, like a neutral football fan standpoint, I don't think there's any way you can say that Roger, like the best landing spot for Rogers is the Broncos. 
because all of a sudden the AFC West has four top 10 quarterbacks. Cause I, I do think Derek Carr is like 10th, but he's, he's right there. Like he, he just, he's yeah. stuck in a division where two of the three yeah. best quarterbacks in the NFL play. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, that's, that's kind of the thing with, like, if he goes to, the thing with the AFC is it's, it is really just concentrated with quarterbacks because I don't feel like the Chiefs and the Chargers have really done a great job building a roster just yet. I think the, I think the Chiefs have phenomenal talent, but from top to bottom, the way that roster is, I mean, if you really look at it, they've got like one wide receiver, maybe Byron Pringle if you count him. That's a that's two. They've had some they've big not been able to run the ball. They've had some big. Yeah, they've not been able to run Frank, the ball Frank, at all. Frank Clark looks like a disaster. Like yeah, that, their defensive really line. It's like, it's like Melvin Ingram and Chris Jones, and that was kind of it. Their linebacker room was bad. I don't like any of their corners. They played Daniel Sorensen for way too long. Like that, there's a lot of holes with them, and also the Chargers of like the middle. The Chargers don't have any front seven. They have no Except front for seven. Yeah, and that's it. And then, like, you're gonna have they're gonna have to retool the secondary again. Yep. I like Asante Samuel. Yeah, yeah, and I love Derwin James. I think Derwin James is when he's healthy, he's one of the best defenders in the NFL. But like, that's kind of it right now. And then they've got to retool their offensive line. Um, so it's like, but when you go down the list of teams in the AFC, like the Broncos just continue to make sense from a weapon standpoint, from an offense. Like, I don't think the offensive line is necessarily a top 10 unit. I think they can get there, right? Like, I think if, if Quinn Miners hits and he's your center moving forward and they find a right tackle, I think they can move into borderline top 10. I definitely think that. Um, like you have that, you have the weapons, you have a running, at least a running game of some sort, whether it's, with Javante and Melvin or Javante and somebody else or whatever. And then you have a competent enough defense, especially on the secondary with, with talent that none of the other AFC teams can really provide except for like Cleveland. And that's it. That's the only team I can think of. But like, obviously the Buffalo is not going to happen, but, but I agree. I, but I think, yeah, Buffalo, Buffalo has probably the best top to bottom roster of like the teams in the AFC. And then Cleveland is basically a quarterback need a receiver probably need another edge rusher because I don't don't think Jadavian Clowney is like a long-term solution there, but, but like they have a very good team as well. Mm-hmm. That honestly, maybe we're sleeping on Cleveland as a possibility, but I don't think Aaron Rodgers wants to go to Ohio. Uh, well, I mean, they are red States. Sorry. That's too political for them. <laughs> um, but, like- but, but I, but I, I do but think like- though, like if you're the Broncos and again, like, I think this is probably, if you're the Broncos, what you just said, though, has to be kind of in the back of Peyton's mind in that, yes, there are significant issues with the Broncos roster right now. Like the Broncos roster right now is weaker than it was this time last year. Like there's no doubt, but they have $40 million in cap room. As of now, they have five top 100 picks. If you can land Aaron Rodgers and keep at least a good bit of that war chest, you could very quickly, if you hit on the rest of the stuff you're doing this offseason, the Broncos could become a Super Bowl favorite very quickly. And I think if you're paying, that is I don't, why, know, I don't know about a favorite necessarily, but definitely in contention. 
Definitely think, a contention. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think right up there with the other I, I think you are one of the three or four teams that people would be picking to make it to the Super Bowl. I think in the AFC. Yeah. In the AFC, yeah. Oh. I'm not saying they're gonna like I'm not saying win it, but I'm saying uh, yeah. land Aaron Rodgers, yeah. figure out right tackle, get an edge rusher, and all of a sudden the Broncos look okay. like they are a Super Bowl contender. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I just that's the thing with Rodgers, is that like he just totally transforms the identity of this team. It's the closest thing and, closest thing to Peyton Manning that has happened. Other again, yeah. maybe Tom Brady. I just I, I think we could we could talk about Rodgers' personal beliefs to the cows come home, but like when Rodgers is locked in and you you saw that buy-in shift under the floor, right? When Rodgers is locked into your scheme and he's ready to go and he's feeling it, like he's just virtually unstoppable. And I think right. that's like, that, that's I think that's why Nathaniel Hackett made a lot of sense because if you're going to try and trade for Aaron Rodgers, you want to at least have the coach in place that can get everything out of him. And again, I have and, a lot of and, questions about the coaching staff, but I don't have any question about the relationship between Nathaniel Hackett and Aaron Rodgers based on everything we've seen about it. Yeah. And with with a new with an inexperienced coaching staff, having that kind of quarterback presence. Even if you take your kind of lumps here and there, if they go with an analytics approach, which we've seen them say, but you know you want to see them walk the you know, walk the walk and not just talk it, right? Like you want to see them go through with it. And if they're aggressive on fourth downs, and they're like pushing the pile, and like sure, you know what? If if it didn't work, but the process was sound, and like they take their lumps, but they still have Rogers there to kind of like help. Like, not necessarily correct those mistakes, but it's like, okay, it didn't kill me because I still have Aaron freaking Rodgers. Like, I think that's the kind of thing that happens, especially with an inexperienced staff, is it's like, even if, okay, even if we're still lacking in the linebacker room and we're kind of getting beat up in the run game, I can still have Rodgers throw for 350 and four touchdowns, and we're fine. We saw the Packers do that this year. Basically, and, oh, even if even if our special teams freaking sucks, <laughs> we're still a one seed. Right? We're good until we're good until the playoffs. Then we're gonna, yeah. Then we're just gonna totally forget how to play football. <laughs> but like, like that. But that's the thing with Rogers, though, is he affords that kind of. I don't want to say mistakes because you don't want the staff to just get comfortable making mistakes. But like that kind of like safety net of it's, any late quarterback. It gives you a margin for error that. Yeah. And give you some space to operate in the AFC West. And frankly, and I think, again, I think this is a good place to stop, but no other option this offseason looks like it really moves the needle from the Broncos being the fourth best team in the AFC West to being the first or the second best team in the AFC West. I think Jimmy G gets you in the conversation to pay, maybe be second best if he stays healthy fits the coaching staff, does not have a complete like meltdown mentally four or five times a game as he can do. None of, the, do yeah. none of the rookie quarterbacks is going to, are going to be more than probably competition for like a drew lock type free agency. Your best options are Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, who hasn't been a starter since 2019 or Teddy Bridgewater, who is going to probably cause half the fan base to walk out. Uh, like it basically has to be Aaron Rodgers if the Broncos are serious about contending this year. I hope it happens. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with it. Uh, 
Thanks for joining me. I hope I hope your Rams win the Super Bowl. Uh, I hope Von Miller wins the Super Bowl. Uh, guys, if you yeah. do not follow AJ on Twitter, go do it. He is at AJ Draft Scout. Read his stuff at Mile High Report. Congratulate him after the Rams win. And yeah, go Broncos. Hopefully next time we talk, we have a little bit more clarity on uh, the rest of the coaching staff and Aaron Rodgers. <laughs>